the J Talk podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And Johnny, we're just about there. Five teams left to preview in our top flight season previews before the new season gets going on Friday. Yeah, excitement building. Uh, I don't know what, what things have been doing with, with you in, in Canto since we last talked, but in Kansai it doesn't seem to know if it's, if it's the middle of February or the middle of May. So I've been down with a bit of a cold last week. So apologies to any of the listeners if I sound a bit too too hoarse or a bit sniffly, but uh, I've, I'm kind of battling back to, to full fitness now. And I think in all my time of listening to the pod, this is the first time I've had two Scottish people on the, the, same, the pod at the same time. So momentous stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to talk about three fascinating teams in, in this episode. Um, how about yourself, Ben? How, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you, Johnny. Yes, had a busy Sunday, but uh, ready to uh, ready to go as we uh, preview the three promoted clubs who have uh, come up to J1 for the 2024 season. And uh, leading us off uh, this episode is uh, Tokyo Verdi. And joining us to chat about the green half of the capital is a, a new voice on Big Pod, but uh, one that will be very familiar to listeners of uh, J Talk Extra Time. We've uh, poached Lewis White away from uh, John and James, and it's uh, great to have him on the pod. Uh, Lewis, welcome. How are you? Oh, thanks very much. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, very well today. Terrific stuff. And uh, yeah, I imagine you're uh, you're still buzzing over uh, that uh, epic playoff final win uh, back in December that has seen Verdi stamp their ticket back to the big time that um, well that's certainly going to take some topping isn't it yeah yeah I, I, I think it's one of those ones that yeah like I don't think anybody really expected I think even as even as the most like optimistic Verdi fan of which I'm not um, that that was still a pretty like stunning way to end the season I kind of like the whole season I was expecting as we got closer and closer to the end and it looked like we might actually be there and thereabouts I just kind of imagined that it was setting it up to like break my heart as 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 maximally as possible. So even when Solomon got that penalty, I, I still thought this will this will be the moment. You know, there was like six minutes into injury time. This is he's going to blaze this over the bar just to like maximise my pain over the course of the season. So yeah, I still can't quite believe that they were here. So I the promised land. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. So, um, Lewis, we'll get on to uh, reviewing uh, Verdi's 2023 season, and uh, yeah, tr- uh, talk about the transfers out and in uh, for the club over the off season, as well as yeah, every other part of our preview that we've done for all of the other teams uh, so far. But as I mentioned, it's your first uh, appearance on. Uh, our podcast. So for listeners who don't always tune in to, to J Talk Extra Time, could you just give a brief rundown of, um, well, I guess, yeah, how long you've been in Japan and uh, why on earth you started supporting Tokyo Verde? It's something I, just, I can't get my head around. <laughs> That's a fair, fair, fair question. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm originally from Scotland, as you could probably tell by the accent. I'm, I'm a Kilmarnock fan. Uh, grew up in Kilmarnock, uh, hometown. So I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for the the kind of hometown diddies. Um and so when I, I came out here in 2017 and I, and I, as a on holiday and I kind of planned to try and catch a, a J League game at some point. Woke up at 5 a.m. horrendously jet lagged. Uh, looked at the schedule and uh, I think Verdi were maybe the only team that I recognised to be a Tokyo one who were playing at home that weekend. Um, so I went along and I kind of quite enjoyed the day. It was a one one draw against Yokohama, I think. And um, 
I decided that this would be my team if I ever moved here, and it's like particularly given the fact that they were a second division team and this kind of kind of fallen giant uh, status, I found that quite attractive. <laughs> kind of patron saint of lost causey. So um, when I eventually moved here in 2018, uh, that was my team. Uh, I used to go and see them sporadically when I still worked at the weekends, and then from 2020 when I switched jobs, uh, got my weekends back, and then I've been going pretty much like every home game since, and uh, quite a few away games now. Uh, from yeah, uh, these days I, I managed to get about five to ten away games in a season as well. So yeah, um, stuck with them, um, but I, I, happy times at the moment at least. I thoroughly enjoyed the use of the word "diddy" on, on the pod. <laughs> Hopefully that translates. <laughs> Hopefully that's like a, like a universal term. Uh, pish. <laughs> can, can we say that in the pod? Uh, sure, sure, yeah. go for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, yeah. It was Johnny. You mentioned a, a pair of Scots on this uh, podcast, and of course, I'm a Maxwell. So um, yes, mm. I, my uh, my ancestry is Scottish as well. So uh, yeah, we've all got our kilts on, and we're ready to chat about <laughs> Tokyo Verdi and yes, their remarkable 2023 season. Uh, as we've said, they're back in the top flight, and it was a very long wait indeed. They spent a total of uh, 15 consecutive years in J2 uh, after finishing ninth in uh, 2022 and in the bottom half of the table the uh, the three previous years Verdi started well last year and basically never looked back uh, after match day five they only spent one week outside the top four and they spent a total of eight weeks in the automatic promotion places uh, three of them were in the second half of the year but uh, yes as the the season wound down it looked as if they were going to be pipped to third place and uh, obviously the the home uh, advantages that that uh, gives you all the way through in the uh, the J2 promotion playoffs but as uh, Shimizu uh, well to be Blunt choked things away at the end of the season and Verdi leapt above them from fourth to third in the final round. As we now know, that made all the difference when those two teams faced off in the playoff final at the National Stadium that uh, Lewis has already mentioned. Uh, Verdi's incredibly dramatic equalising penalty deep into second half stoppage time meant that they were promoted after the draw as, of course, the highest placed team. Um, yeah, plenty of people still don't like that uh, that policy that the J-League has for the playoffs. But, um, yeah, I'm sure Lewis isn't complaining after what happened uh, last December. Uh, as far as their uh, a broad range of their stats go from last season, well, eight teams scored more than their 57 goals for. Of course, uh, J2 plays a 42 game season, or at least they did with the 22 teams in 2023. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they were the lowest scorers in the top eight uh, teams in the table, but in only conceding 31, they had the best defence in J2. The goals were shared amongst, uh, well, quite remarkably, 21 different players with the mid-season loanees, Itsuki Somino and Hikaru Nakahara leading the way with six and five respectively. So I've gone on for a couple of minutes there, Lewis, but um, yeah, you're far better qualified to talk about the journey that 2023 was. Um I mean, if you can cast your mind back to the start of the season after a ninth place finish in uh, in the season before, did you give you your side much hope of um, of ultimately yeah reaching that the ultimate goal? I thought we would. I thought we had a a reasonable chance at a playoff spot, like uh, maybe like coming in sixth or something like that. Um, as it went, like what Verdi have done in my time as a regular, um, like a regular like 
attendee at the, the, at the stadium, they tend to absolutely bottle it about midway through the season. And they'll go like a run of five to ten games when they like they just cannot for the love for love nor money get a win. Um and we did. <laughs> even even in twenty twenty three we had this horrendous home record when I think we went something like two and a half months without without a win at home and I kinda honestly thought it was like, you know, the like history repeating. Um but I think uh, the kind of mid season loanies like obviously Somino, but I think like Nakahara as well. That was probably just about enough to kind of um, like reset and get the momentum started again for the second half of the season, and that kind of was enough to to seize over well, at least to seize over into the third place uh, position that you meant you mentioned being so important in the end. Um, so yeah, honestly, like at the beginning of the season, we've, we've we have started strongly in the past, so I didn't look too much into it, and then we had that kind of mid mid season slump. Um, but yeah, I think I think maybe this like last year's J2 maybe wasn't the strongest of all time, and that mm. also also benefited as well a wee bit. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think it was one of those ones that's only maybe in the last two or three months, and you began to think actually no, this is this is this is doable. So yeah, and and, and the rest is history, I suppose. But yeah, it was a good season, <laughs> I'd say. Do you think, like you mentioned there, Lewis, like that maybe last season that J two wasn't wasn't the strongest in history, and I guess we, the kind of home slump and Verdi were never out of the the top six after round three, I think, in in the league, mm-hmm. and also like Ben said, twenty one different goal scorers, so mm-hmm. it, was, it was shared around a lot. Do you think a lot of it was down to the the system and, and the manager rather than the actual the, the skill of the individual players at all? Yeah, definitely. I, I think like um, I think. They're definitely greater than the sum of the parts that that team, um, and I think like obviously we'll come on to talking about 2024 later. But I think like the, the front line was always the issue, and even pre-season last year, it was you were looking at the forward line and thinking that that's where we're going to struggle, and we did. Um, you know, if you're kind of half like mid-season loanees end up being your top scorers, and I think like Daiki Fukuzawa at fullback was our top scorer for the first half of the season. Um, definitely, I think it was it was a, a kind of success built on a, a solid defence, uh, a team that worked very very hard for each other, and the ability to kind of ground ground out games and score from maybe not uh, maybe not the most expected sources. That was probably the difference, I think. So yeah, definitely, um, it was it was a lot to do with the system and and Joe Fuku's man management as well. All right, then. Yeah, we'll definitely come on to chat about Hiroshi Jofuku, the manager, uh, very shortly. But, uh, yeah, let's uh, run through what the club has done in the transfer market in the winter, Lewis. So, uh, yeah, we well, we've mentioned uh, Nakahara and his loan from uh, Cerezo. Uh, that was uh, definitely a success for the club and, yeah, helped to push Verdi up to third in the table and then, yeah, uh, ultimately seal promotion. But, of course, he returned to Osaka at the end of the season and, uh, and has uh, since joined Tosu on a full transfer. Uh, Ren Kato has left for Yokohama F Marinos, and there are a raft of uh, departures to J2 and J3 clubs and uh, other loanees returning to parent clubs as well. So I might have missed a, a couple there that you, you wanted to uh, mention as they uh, walk out the door. Can you can you run us through which of those players leaving might have the biggest impact on the team? And yeah, any others that uh, that you wanted to uh, to mention, especially as they uh, as they leave the club? You basically nailed it. Uh, the two one, the two that you mentioned by name were exactly the ones that I was going to bring up anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Ren Kato Ren, um, Kato Ren 
I I was not heartbroken to see leave because I don't think he had the best season last year. Um, I think he's one of those players who is better going forward than he is defensively. And I think with the system that we had last year, it, it didn't really work so well for him. Um, and even like his, his first, very, very early days at Marino's, but I saw his first appearance in the ACL and, and it was kind of kind of what we've seen before. Like he, he's a really good attacking fullback and not such a great defensive one. And I feel like that's maybe something that we can't really afford in J1, given the, the, the depth that we've got. So I wasn't totally heartbroken to see him leave. I was heartbroken to see Nakahara leave, though, even though he was never ours. Um, I, he was absolutely outstanding. And I think like in terms of like players in that squad that had a little bit more, um, in terms of like ability and the ability to create things and, and score from nowhere, like he scored this ridiculous like, 30-yard free kick um, at the end of the season. Um, I think it's Tochi at home. Um, he was the one I was most gutted to see leave. The 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 others that have let moved on were kind of kind of players that you would expect to have been moved on anyway, like given the circumstances of of moving up to J one, and even you may have expected to see them go from J two as well. It was like these like absolute stalwarts like Junki Koike and um, Kajikawa and play, players like that who've have been you know to still cliche servants to the club. Um, but are kind of at, maybe at the end of their kind of useful best for 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 any kind of higher level J2 team and definitely for J1. So I think the two that you you name you name checked would probably be the most significant departures. I think with Nakahara, probably the most painful thing is that he's actually ended up at Sagan Tosu, who could yeah. be the, the direct rival for for Verdi. So it would be an absolute sickener to see him come back and score against Verdi. Hopefully that doesn't happen this season. And mm. it, it seemed a bit like Kato. Played an awful lot of games last season, but it seemed to be like he was never really first choice. Kind of played in the left wing or left back when players were injured or, or out. So I think the only other thing I was going to add, a bit of a kind of recurring theme on these these previews, is put players not on this list because I, I know Gamba, among others, were, were credited with interest in, in Miyahara and, and Morita, and I don't know how it was reported on the the Verdi end, but I think in the Gamba side it was kind of. Um, it was reported that those players would have left if if Verdi had stayed in J2. So that the fact they went up seemed to be quite crucial in keeping both of them on board. And I think they could both be, be crucial pieces uh, in the puzzle that, this season. But yeah, just to kind of echo what, what both of you have said, I think quite a, quite a lot of departures on, on paper, but maybe only only two or three maybe affecting the, the starting eleven. I think. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think like more maybe more than anything else, like I don't think we've had. A particularly massive boost in terms of finances with this promotion, and I think I saw some some I think projected figures for playing budgets earlier today, and I think that we are like by a hundred million yen the, the the most skint team in the division in terms of like a, a like um, playing budget. Uh, the next one up is Sagantosu, as, as you mentioned, so I it's a bit of a gutter to see Nakahara go there. Uh, but that skint that we, <laughs> we lose out to, to Sagan for, for players. Um, but you're you're right, like I think the, the promotion has has at least kept some like players of Miyahara and, and, and Morita's stature um on board for another another season, maybe or two, depending on how we get on. So I think that's that's the most important thing is almost not losing more rather than what we have lost uh, from from promotion. Yep. All right then. So uh, we mentioned that Nakahara is uh, has departed the club, and yeah, that he will uh, leave a hole 
um, for definite. But yes, the uh, the other mid-season loanee last year, of course, uh, jo- joined uh, Verdi on loan for the second time from Kashima last year, Itsuki Somino, and uh, ended up as the top scorer. Well, yeah, he has remained and um, is uh, yeah beginning a season with Verdi for the first time. So that's absolutely tremendous for the the Green Faithful to have him there from the start of the season. I'll tell you what, Johnny, I'll throw it to you if you want to run through uh, the other uh, transfers in that t- that caught your eye, um, either new players to the club or, uh, yeah, youngsters coming through the ranks. And then, yeah, obviously throw to, to Lewis and see uh, which one of those uh, he's the, uh, yeah, the most excited about. I think it ends a little bit like outs in it. There's quite a lot of them on, on paper, but I think that there's one that stands out for me anyway, head and shoulders above the others, and that's uh, Tommy Amiki coming in from, from Jeff. Um, again, as Lewis mentioned, the, the kind of finances at Verdi. I've always thought Jeff are actually quite a bit richer than, than Verdi, so I'm not surprised to see Miki in J1, but I am quite surprised to see him switching over from, from Jeff to Verdi, because I, I think there must have been interest in him from other clubs that this off-season and also the previous two, but he, he stayed at Jeff and he's obviously given up getting promoted with them, so so fair play to him. He's, he switched over to Verdi and I expect him to be a, a big, big, big player in, in midfield, whether it's as a as a holding midfield or as a, a number 10. Um, outside of that, I think you've got um, Hijirio Nagas come in from, from Machida, a, a left-back, and then our old friend Yutaro Hakamata is back in J1. I, I, I'm not quite sure how he's gone from getting relegated at Omiya to, to returning to, to J1, but hopefully he doesn't play too much. And then you've got uh, Soma Meshino, Yotaro Meshino from Gamba's younger brothers come in, a very promising kind of number 10 holding midfielder. I don't know how much playing time he'll see. Uh, Joey Yamamoto's come up from the, the youth team. He's uh, Rihito Yamamoto's younger brother. And rumoured to be actually better than Rihito, so we'll, we'll wait and see that. And then a player I know well, and I'm a bit sad to see him go, um, Hiroto Yamami. It just didn't happen for him at Gamba. Uh, partly down to him, I think. A lot of it down to the coaching. And, and hopefully with a, with a good coach behind him, he can develop a bit at Verdi. Is he, I'm sure Verdi will have to rely a lot on counter-attacks. And he had a, had a horrible habit at Gamba of running very quickly away from supporting players and running down blind alleys. So if, if Joe Fuku can get that sorted out, then you've got a player in your hands. I, I still think he should have probably gone to J2 and developed in a kind of less rarefied atmosphere, but we'll see how that goes because he, he has played with uh, Goki Yamada and also new signing Yudai Kimura, who's come in from Kyoto. They all played together at Kansei Gakuin University, so hopefully there's a bit of a connection there that can quickly get up to speed. And also another player I quite like, Fuki Yamada, has come in from, from Kyoto on loan. He's a kind of Japan age level player. So, so there's plenty of kind of, yeah, there's players in and around that, that front area. It might be a little bit like like Kyoto or, or Shonan or, or Tosu, where they kind of, the players are never really set in stone who's the first choice. They kind of rotate them around and get kind of 10 to 15 games out of each of them. But yeah, a, a, lot, of, a lot of players, I'm, I'm a big fan of Miki. I've always been a big fan of him at, at Jeff. And I really want to see Yamami do well. I think yeah, Yamada could be a decent signing. The rest um, remains to be seen. What what have you made of all the the business, Lewis? Yeah, um, I kind of like it was what I think as well. I think like Tomoyuki would be the 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 big the the one when he signed because he's one of the first to sign actually yeah. when when the 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 window opened and I, and I was like oh that's quite a significant one because he's very well thought of at Jeff and I thought this was like okay this is indicative of like you know this is like we're, we're laying down like a a marker in terms of what we're willing to spend and what we're going to, uh, what we're going to actually do. Maybe there's some sort of investment coming. And then after that, it was just like a, a, a slew of loanies. But kind of what you're saying, like 
I feel like a lot of these low knees are, are players that will fit the system rather than the other way around. And I think you're probably right. We'll probably see a bit of rotation. I think like, like Yamada, uh, Fuki Yamada, is probably going to be the most natural replacement for Nakahara. Um, like a left a left footer that plays on the right. And we'll probably see him, I think, probably do a very, very similar role to, to, to Nakahara last season. Um what one of the things that I I kind of looked at some of the players coming in was like J one experience and there's not a great deal yet I don't think, yeah. um so and I think that's going to be one of the problems across the board with the, the squad as it stands is that they are limited in experience, um there's nobody else that really massively stuck out for me I think Yamami might be a solid signing as well but you can look at the you look at the reels on on YouTube and it's always like there there's the three best moments of God knows how many minutes they actually played. Uh, Kimura, I, I was I'm kind of looking forward to seeing a little bit. I think like I think he's a kind of relatively big forward as well, six foot or so. Um, and I think that'll be important because we we occasionally switch to away from this kind of four three three four five one system to a four four two, and I think having a couple of like reasonably sized forwards will be important there. Uh, when we, if and when we begin to struggle, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's like the players that have come in. I, I, I've, it really depends on how quickly they, they they settle and how how able they are to compete uh, at a kind of significantly better level than than J two. Um, so I mean, no, I don't know. Like I'm <laughs> top scorer from last season, but he's a big, he's a bit of a big haddy. <laughs> like again to use a Scottishism, like he, he's maybe he's he's maybe a little bit limited technically. Um, some of the the, the goals he scored last season were, were quite funny. Uh, he got an equaliser against Jeff with his with his knob. So like <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, think um, I think it will be. He's quite young. He's quite young. So I I I feel like maybe he's going to be one of those guys that just suddenly go and goes in this crazy run, but uh, run and scoring. But I don't know, like. There's not a huge amount of signs that came in that particularly set set the header alight, as it were. I think yeah, Tomoe Miki and, and and Fukuyama, I think would probably and, and Yamami would be my the ones that I'll be kind of keeping an eye on most in terms of uh, oh, big great hopes for the for the coming season. All right, now just before we move on to the manager, Lewis, uh, as we mentioned, this is Verdi's uh, first season back in the top flight for uh, an extremely long time. So. Yeah, again, for big pod listeners who don't know any of um, Verdi's, you know, regular players from last season, who were the mainstays of um, of the promotion campaign that have stayed and that you think will be the most important contributors this season? Uh, Miyahara uh, at right back, ex Grampus. Um, he's got J1 experience. Just he just looks like much more of a kind of you know like a, a kind of classy article. Um, Mateus, the goalkeeper. I thought he was the J2 goalkeeper of the season. Bar I think there's like a couple of games he 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 had a couple of howlers, but overall I thought he was a superb and very consistent goalkeeper, which was you know he hasn't always been. So it's another really big season for the keeper, Mateus. Um, other players, Morita, he's kind of come into his own. He's obviously the captain as well. He's a very young captain. Uh, he's 23, but um, again, obviously this is going to be his biggest test. Um, other players that I think will be interesting to see settle in J1 will be uh, Tetsuyuki Inami, a uh, kind of defensive midfielder who just he's one of those kind of like no nonsense uh, midfielders who's actually got a really really good shot on him. 
Uh, I'm quite interested to see. I thought he was younger than he is. He's actually 24, but I'm quite interested to see how he does in J1. Uh, the other one, similarly, is uh, Hiroto Taniguchi of uh, centre half. I, I, I feel like he is. I could be horribly wrong, but I really do feel like he's a, a really good, really, really good centre back. And I'm really excited to see how he settles in J1 as well. Those would be my calls. In terms of kind of younger uh, younger players coming through that I think will be exciting to watch, there's a winger, a young winger called Yuta Arai, who's coming in from Toyo University. Um, he played a couple of games last season and looked looked electric. Um, again, he's a winger, so he's going to have he's going to be one of those players that has. You know, a couple of good games, a couple of bad ones. Um, but I'm quite excited to see him. He's only 20. Um, they would be my calls, I think, uh, for for players to watch uh, for for next year. If you're not familiar with the Verdi squad as it stands. Yep. Okay then. So uh, the manager then, Hiroshi Jovuku, he worked at Wonders in his uh, first season at the club. He has uh, a lot of experience in uh, in the top flight in Japan. He uh, first uh, began his uh, managerial managerial career, excuse me, with uh, my club FC Tokyo in uh, 2008. Um, led us to a, uh, a, 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 a then a Nabisco Cup title in 2009, but uh, in 2010, uh, FC Tokyo had a uh, Anis Horribilis and uh, Joe Fuku was sacked late in the season uh, when the club was uh, 16th and they did go on uh, to be relegated at the end of the season. Uh, Joe Fuku moved to uh, Kofu, who were in J2 in uh, 2012. He led them to the J2 title in his first season and then uh, up to 13th in the top flight in 2014. That proved to be his last season at the club in 2016 he returned to fc tokyo but only lasted uh, six months and uh, yeah that was a, a pretty horrendous decision by all concerned but then uh, joe fuku managed uh, hiroshima from 2018 to 2021 uh, his best finish there was a second in the top flight in 2018 but um yes uh, he doesn't have to buy a uh, he doesn't have to buy a drink off a, a verdi supporter for the rest of his life i think does he uh, lewis he uh, worked wonders there and as you mentioned earlier uh, i think in passing but it's worth repeating he does get the uh, the best out of uh, his uh, squads and in this uh, uh, this occasion last year his uh, team was uh, definitely better than the sum of their parts yeah uh, exactly yeah, i love the old get i think he's wonderful um he he came in midway through 2022 after we'd had the, the the absolute kind of comedy capers uh, of um, what's his name Takafumi Hori, who went on to be equally god awful at Sendai. Um, so I think like him coming in, it wasn't one of those like uh, appointments that everybody was like was over the moon about or particularly excited about, but it was like the right man for the right time, um, and I, like very much. Um, steadied the ship over the rest of that season, finished the season really strongly. I think it was like six wins in a row. Um, quite conservative. Um, will tend to prefer a kind of defensive discipline to this kind of like expansive or free-flowing football. He likes passing football, um, and they pass. Uh, there'll be a lot of uh, possession recycling to the point where you'll be kind of screaming them to pass it forward just once, for God's sake. Um, so. It's it's maybe not the most pleasing in the eye football, but it is effective, and especially for a club 
who are not necessarily blessed with with the, the best um, like financial resources and ability to to go out and bring in players like like, like for example Zelvia were able to do last year uh, or Shimizu were able to do last year. Um, he will build a really good unit. Um, I think he's a very good mad manager as well. Although I don't know how much that was to do with the the assistant manager uh, Tomo Ogura, who's went off to take over the Singapore job. Um, but I think he has he's 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 very fond of his players as well. I think he has this kind slightly kind of patriarchal uh, view of of his job, and he, he he's he's a very good uh, he's very good at building up a squad and building that togetherness to get them through the season. Um, so I'm really excited to see what will happen this year. And given that the mission is really just survival, I'm really happy it's him. Uh, because I think he's probably that's kind of his is kind of his bag um, is, is building these difficult to beat squads, and I think if anything, J1 might be like better in the sense that where we really struggled last season when we had that rotten run of home games when we were like drawing nil nil every second week, and it was <laughs> pretty pretty awful to watch. Um, this time we will probably be the ones defending, and it will be like as you guys mentioned, it, it like it will be counter-attacking football, and I think that serves us better than having to be the one that are you know like like pushing and being proactive. So yeah, I'm 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 really happy that it's him, and um, we'll see how we get on. I think I came into this episode knowing I think a lot of the listeners will, will expect Verdi to have a, a tough time this season, so I deliberately thought of kind of reasons to be to be cheerful. And I think Joe Fuka is definitely a, a reason for for positivity at Verdi. I'd go as far to say of the the, the three newly promoted sides, he, if I had to choose one one coach from them to keep my team in the division, it would be Joe Fuku. Mm. He has the experience, and you know you, you laid out the what he's done is his CV in the past, Ben, and I think perhaps that that spell at Kofu like almost a decade ago. No, no, I think that might be the most relevant, getting them promoted and then keeping them up for 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 two years. Because, yeah, like, like like you say, Lewis, he's not going to win any any points for style the, the way his teams play. And I think that mm. was that was part of the reason for his downfall at, at Hiroshima. They kind of slowly slid down the table, playing some pretty pretty turgid stuff, and then he, he was out the door. But I think yeah, he's, he's really kind of found his groove again at, at, at Verdi and. Especially having coached teams at the top end of, of J1, I think it was quite it was probably quite easy to get get especially the younger players at Verdi on board with what he was trying to do. And yeah, I think I think you make a bit very good point about it was very difficult for Verdi to, to break teams down last season, but with probably on the back foot more often and having kind of pacey wingers, you just need someone in the middle to, to knock in those chances, and it, it could be a very successful strategy. But yeah, I definitely echo your sentiments about Joe Fuku. And I mean, Ben, you must have some kind of mixed feelings about Joe Fuku. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the the 2009 um, yeah Nabisco Cup final is well, probably the the best day I've ever had uh, supporting um, any of my teams. So uh, yeah, the the fact that he was able to deliver that trophy was. Uh, Absolutely magic, but yeah, the, the next season I was cursing him to um, to the moon as we uh, just sunk down the table and he wasn't able to uh, to really do anything to arrest our slide. And then yeah, as I said, the, the return in 2016, um, yeah, it just didn't seem right from the off. And as it panned out, yeah, it was clearly uh, the wrong decision. But yeah, I can see what you're both saying, and I I, I think for 
for Verdi in this um, in this situation they find themselves in. Yeah, he is the perfect uh, the perfect man for the job. And sorry, Lewis, thanks for clarifying there that he did come in halfway through 2022, didn't he? I, I meant to say it was his first full season in charge, uh, so I think I, I misspoke earlier. But yeah, you're right. In just 18 months, uh, yeah, he's managed to to turn this uh, this Verdi team into a J1 outfit. And uh, yeah, he's certainly a passionate. A passionate man wears his heart on his sleeve, but is also extremely well prepared. And um, and as we've as we've said uh, in the last few minutes, he definitely gets the best out of his players. And uh, I mean, yeah, you can see the fact that um, Verdi had the the best defence uh, statistically in J2 last year. That uh, yeah, he certainly knows how to to organise a team as well. And um, yeah, I'm sure all Verdi supporters are looking for him to carry on in the same vein. Uh, in 2024, although, yeah, it must be said, I mean, he hasn't spent uh, an enormous amount of time at uh, any of his stops um, in uh, in J1 or J2 slash J1 uh, up until this point. But, um, yeah, maybe this is uh, this is the club where he really uh, sinks some roots in and uh, and spends a number of years in charge. As I say, I'm sure the Verdi supporters, uh, Lewis included, uh, very much hopes that that is the case. All right, so let's uh, move on and talk about our uh, ones to watch. I know Lewis has already mentioned some of the key players that have remained from, uh, from last season. But, um, yeah, as we work through the three of us and... And chat about uh, a, a player that we're most looking forward to seeing for Verdi this year. Um, obviously, uh, Johnny, you know the, uh, the 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 pattern here: a young player, a uh, a returning star, or um, yeah, a, a a youngster coming into the squad for the first time. Who are you most looking forward to seeing uh, in a Verdi shirt this year? Well, Lewis basically mentioned Inami earlier, and I definitely second that, but um, I think he did a good job of kind of, kind of covering him. So I'm going to go for the, the fullback Daiki Fukazawa. I think when he originally came into the, the Verdi side, he was a right back, and then he switched over to, to left back last season to allow uh, Miyahara to, to play. And um, yeah, I think he had a, a couple of injury problems at, near the start of the season that allowed Kato to get a bit of game time. But he looks like quite quite a solid player uh, d- defensively, and also like like Lewis pointed out, he got four goals last season, which has made him the second top scorer. And if if you get some, if you get even get two or three in J1, I think that that would be a, a massive help because the, there's no there's no one that really stands out that's going to score going to score eight, nine, ten goals. So if if the whole team can chip in with a few goals, and if he can be defensively solid with that. I think that'd be a, a very useful signing. Quite interesting to see his battle with with Onaga, who's come in to see who wins out in that. There's a couple of good left backs, so and there's also Kawamura's come in from Iwaki, so there's a bit of depth in that position. But I think Fukuzawa is someone who who can win out and can impress. But I, I definitely second what what Lewis said about about Inami earlier. Um, what about yourself, Lewis? I know you, you gave us quite a good run through of the, the best players. Is there anyone you'd like to, to mention again, or or another like complete bolt from from left field you'd want to want to throw at the listeners? Um, who else would I would I add to that list? Um, I, yeah, I think in terms of like players, of, I, I like there's there's also Shirai, um, mm-hmm. another like another forward. Um, played I think he only played two 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 or three games. I think he's I think he's I think he scored against you you a lot, Ben. Sorry, <laughs> um, in the in the Tenohai. Um, again, he's a kind of I, I, I think he's quite a, a tall lad as well I think he's about six feet fit foot as well um so he might get a bit more of a bit more game time this season he might be another interesting one to, to look out for he looked pretty mobile in that game from what I remember of that game it was quite booze footfield um but I think I remember he had a chance towards the end of the the sec oh, uh, the first half injury time yeah uh, sorry extra time 
which he skewed wide. Um, but he might be another one. But beyond that, it, it would be the, the players I mentioned already. And uh, Inami, I think Morita is going to have a really big season this season as well. Like, can he can he make the step up to J1? Um, and then yeah, the young young winger Arai. Uh, as well, I think would be would be my choices for for guys. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, like hit the kind of J1 challenge. Just to follow up with what you said, Lewis. Yes, yeah, should I did score against uh, FC Tokyo according to the the Soccer Digest in the Emperor's Cup and the 185 centimeters tall and has size 29 feet in Japan. So yeah, very, very <laughs> <Someone's big> for, <laughs> for an 18 year old. Yeah, kaiju. Go. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 he, he yeah that's, be that's a unit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely by Japanese standards, that's a big boy. So yeah, he should be one. Depending on how much he plays, he might be another interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, okay, then. Well, uh, yeah, I, I was thinking that Johnny might have gone for Yamami, so I had uh, Someno um, lined up as a backup. But yeah, I've, I think Yamami's a, a really intriguing one, and Johnny, you can obviously weigh in here. I know you've mentioned him already, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a really uh, important season for him as at 24, uh, a, a player I think we uh, we all think is, um, well, yeah, if you did a pop quiz, most people would think he was uh, much younger than that. But uh, yeah, he still only made 40 J1 appearances for for Gumba and uh, and last year uh, in uh, in 14 appearances could only score uh, once but um yeah has obviously flashed a, a lot of potential over his uh, uh, over his time at uh, at Gumba and yeah the well firstly Johnny I mean is there is there room for him in this uh, in this starting 11 do you think he will play and start most games and and um going along with that yeah I mean what are what are Verdi's supporters getting and what's a realistic expectation from from Yamami this year I think Yamami like like Yudai Kimura, who's also come in, that they're both from Kansai Gakuin, and I think they've both had the problem of they've played a couple of games under the kind of designated special player contract when they're still at university. And Yamami, if you remember, scored an absolute worldly against Shimizu to, to win the game, and he also scored the winner against Serizo in a Levan Cup tie, another shot from outside the box, which just gave a completely like overinflated his expectations to the fans beyond belief. So after about five games or so, when he came into Gamba and people realised that the saviour had not arrived, I think he was kind of judged a bit unfairly under that kind of false pretense. And yeah, he wasn't helped by kind of a series of, of questionable managerial uh, appointments and the, the, the team and tactics being changed from, from game to game. Um, and he never really found a role. He was down the left one week, down the right. He, he gets running at centre forward. Like sometimes we had a, a couple of big Brazilians were injured, and then it was little Yamami was put into playing the same tactics sometimes. So de- definitely not helped by the, the the coaching and the overall mood at, at Gamba. But he is a, a very very quick player, and he, he scored goals against Sagantoso and Serizo, but he couldn't seem to do it against anyone else. And I think that the last the last game of last season, he came on against Vissel Kobe and actually looked quite good. And it, just to kind of sum up his time at Gamba, I think Gamba done quite well in that game and deserved a point out of it. And Yamami had a late chance to, to get the point, but his shot was like deflected just wide. And that kind of seemed to be, yeah, him and Gamba were a bit like ships passing in the night. I, I think there's a good player there and there's probably another universe somewhere where he makes it. And I, I hope he does well at, at Verdi. I just have the feeling like he really needs to go somewhere where he can play poorly for two or three games and not get dropped which I don't think mm-hmm. Verdi have the luxury to, to do, which is why I think J2 would have been a better move for him. I, I know in his comments when he left Gamba, my Japanese friend said it sounds like he's not going to be back. I think the um, 
the new graduates usually get three-year contracts, so I think they're going to loan him to Verdi, and if he does well there, he'll sign for Verdi. If not, it'll be somewhere halfway down J2. A big season for him. I, I think he'll make quite a few appearances, but I don't know how much he'll actually start. He might start the first two or three games as they make his way to the bench. So, yeah, I think he'll find his way into that that, that rotation system. But, yeah, I've, I've still got his shirt, his away shirt from 2022. So I'm wishing him well. He'll be one of my favourite players. It's not a gamble player this year, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not completely sold that he's the answer. As we said earlier with with Lewis, I think Fuki Yamada is your kind of winger at Tokyo Verdi to, to keep an eye on the new signings this year. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, rightio then. Okay, so the the prospects for the club for 2024 then. Um, well, I think Lewis has already mentioned it. Survival in the top flight will surely be uh, the the club's primary objective. Uh, while an interesting sideshow, of course, will be the battle for Tokyo bragging rights. As for the first time ever, three teams from the prefecture will square off in the top division. Uh, Verdi failed to beat Machida last season, losing at home and then uh, drawing away, while uh, their previous battles with the FC Tokyo in the league are uh, ancient history, with uh, both games drawn the last time they were in the same division back in the 2011 J2 campaign and uh, each team won away in uh, 2008 the last year they were both in J1 of course yes they did meet in the Emperor's Cup uh, last season but uh, yeah with those games uh, against other Tokyo sides in mind we have a question Lewis from Sam Robson Uh, does the amount of local derbies and rivalries this season for uh, both Machida and Verdi, well, you're here to talk about Verdi, of course, give them an advantage or a disadvantage compared with uh, Jubilo Iwata, who, of course, uh, have left their prefectural rivals, uh, Shimizu, back down in uh, in J2. I think it's a motivator. Um, I don't know what how much of an advantage it will be, but I think it's definitely a motivator. Obviously, like the, the, the real derby, if you will, uh, that's motivation enough. But I think with, with Zelvia, given like the, the slightly kind of bad blood that developed last year, they tried for years and years to try and make the Tokyo Classic a thing and, and absolutely nobody was having that. But last season when they finally when when uh, Vasquez switched in kind of relatively um, controversial circumstances. I think that did actually start a genuine bit of rivalry between the two teams, maybe a little bit more one-sided from from the Verdi side, perhaps. But I think that's definitely going to be a motivation for next season, especially if Vasquez plays. Um, Kuroda's going to, going to be there anyway, and he, he his name got booed uh, in, the, in the derby immediately after the derby, the, the Tokyo Classic immediately after that. Um, so I think it's a motivator. I, I, I don't know if it's an advantage as such because they're obviously huge games and they're they're going to be a motivation for the opposition as well as for Verdi. So with our squad and given that you know if we if we get a couple of injuries that we're looking a bit threadbare in terms of like quality and depth, it might it might you know it, it might be a tough ask to to come out of all of those derbies and on top. Um, but yeah, definitely a motivation. Uh, but it will be a, maybe a bigger challenge than some of the other fixtures. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to them. I think they're going to be really good fun. I think that this was actually a really good question from from Sam. It's, it's a bit different and got, got my thinking cap on. I think for if I can throw an FC Tokyo into the mix, I'm pretty sure away from the playing side, it's absolutely brilliant for all the clubs. Like The marketing divisions will absolutely love it. And I think like the 
the, the people who organise the logistics of away days will love the fact that one of the away days is like for Tokyo and FC uh, for FC Tokyo and, and and Verdi. One of the away games is essentially in your home stadium, and the other one is like about five minutes down the road, rather than being in like Oita or, or Okayama. But I, I don't know really if it has that much effect over the course of a 38 game season because you know, there's three teams in Tokyo, there's three teams in Kanagawa. You throw in kind of Urawa and Kashiwa are all very easy uh, away games. I, I tend to find in J1, most teams are somewhere along the kind of Tokaido or Sanyo Shinkansen or just a little bit north into Kanto. And it tends to be quite easy to get to most of the, the, the stadiums quite easily. And it tends to be quite quite big supports from, from a lot of the teams, you know, like Urawa or Kashima fans, you know, Gamba, Serizo, Bissell fans, they all, they all travel in numbers. So there's always a, a good atmosphere. Um, it definitely will be, will be special, uh, you know, to have that, that FC Tokyo, Tokyo Verde derby after such a long time that the media coverage will all be there. There'll be a big, big hype. It'll always be like a, a cup final when that first one happens. So I think it, it helps definitely for, especially for, for Verde to have an experienced coach like, like Joe Foucault to act as a kind of lightning rod for that. Uh, interesting, but we'll talk about Machida later, that, that their coach is very experienced, but not necessarily in, in the professional game. So I think, you know, I'm kind of rambling around in circles. I think there's pros and cons of it, but it'll definitely be fascinating to see the derby. And if I can just slightly pivot, uh, Lewis, to, to maybe ask you a little bit about crowds, because I was having a look through the, the Maycan, and it seems like since since Verdi went from a kind of bona fide J1 to a J2 side, that the crowd's almost kind of tanked by about 10,000. And I know you were there that, that game at the, the, the National Stadium against Shimizu when you, when you got promoted and there was like thousands upon thousands of, of Verdi fans there. Is there a real kind of buzz or a real feeling like that the kind of average attendance will surge up or do you think it might be quite results dependent? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I, I feel like I feel like a city the size of Tokyo should really be able to support, you know, like, uh, you know, at least two clubs in J-League with like 20,000 crowds. On a regular basis, um, given like Verdi's history and given the pedigree, I, I feel like there's probably a very large number of lapsed fans who just lost interest because they were, you know, watching them, um, you know, like bumble about in the in, the, in J2 for for well over a, like a decade and a half. So I, I feel like there is huge potential there. Um, one of the problems with the crowds is, if, like for example, Ajinomoto Stadium, mm. like. Uh, you go to Ajinomoto Stadium and you're going to think it's it's the FC Tokyo Stadium. And FC Tokyo themselves make make are, are really good at uh, reinforcing the fact that it's their ground. It's red it's red and blue from from Tobitakyo Station to the stadium. Um, and they're quite vocal about it as well to the point that you have like you know like lone goalkeepers at Nagasaki talking about Mikasa last season. So I think part of the problem is that like. Um, FC Tokyo have like been very very proactive in making that stadium theirs and you know like fair play to them. Um, so I think part of the problem in Tokyo is and obviously with the you know the big controversy of uh, is it Verdi Kawasaki or is it Tokyo Verdi and all that. Um, I feel like th- th- there's 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 what Verdi probably should consider in, in a slightly longer like a kind of longer strategic game would be to leave. Ajista to, to FC Tokyo and try and build your own identity somewhere else. Mm. Um, and then, obviously, that's, that's going to be very, very dependent on what the actual success of the club is on the park as well. But I feel like there's a number of things that need to change before you can re, you can look at 
Verdi as a rival to FC Tokyo in terms of crowds anytime soon. Um, if we could get on a regular basis, I I, I feel even in J2 on, on a good day we we, we got thirteen thousand out a few a couple of times, and I feel in J2 that should be like the target, you know, like low low to mid teens in terms of of attendances. Um, but you yeah you can you can imagine that if things begin to go very awry very quickly then that might that might be a struggle. Um, but I would really hope so. I really hope that if like given like taking the momentum from the end of last season into the new season, that kind of optimism and that kind of stuff, that we, we were able to build something a little bit more lasting. But I think that really depends on how capable we are of staying in J1. And even outside of that, like how capable we are of bringing in investment in the way that other clubs around Tokyo have been able to do. Obviously, FC Tokyo, I think, have doubled the playing budget we do currently. And even Machida, even though their actual fan base is relatively small they've got a an absolutely minted um owner who's willing to to really really invest in that project you know new stands and all that kind of stuff and i feel like verdi's a little bit unloved like not only in the stands but like in the boardroom as well i don't feel that zebio are particularly you know um interested in the investment and i feel a little bit like it's an albatross around their neck so I would hope, like, given a little bit of time, we can we can get a little, like, make a make a little bit of space for ourselves in Tokyo, maybe somewhere else at some point in the future. Um, but yeah, it really depends on whether or not we're still in the division in the next couple of years. Indeed, very well said, Lewis. And uh, yeah, we had a question from Kai about Ajinomoto Stadium, uh, Lewis, and it wasn't directed uh, to to either you or to Thomas. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're planning to talk about it uh, with uh, with Thomas when we record our FC Tokyo preview on on Monday night as well. And um, yeah, it's uh, I mean, th- there are other s- uh, stadiums around uh, the uh, the J1 like it. It's not um, an especially ugly one. There are uh, others that are. Uh, you know, of a similar ilk. But, yeah, when you see um, a number of teams in recent years open a soccer-specific and, uh, yeah, bespoke stadiums, you would love uh, to see something like that uh, in the capital. Um, and as a Tokyo supporter, yeah, I'd I'd love to get out of uh, Chofu uh, myself and uh, properly into the city. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's something for a, a different conversation. I think, yeah, Johnny and myself are going to have uh, with, uh, with Tom uh, tomorrow night. So, um, yeah, we'll... Uh, we, we had a question from Brett about the Tokyo Derby as well, but as we mentioned earlier, there haven't been that many in, in recent years, uh, Brett. But, yeah, we're all uh, looking forward to it, uh, yeah, returning this year. And, um, yeah, especially the, the FC Tokyo Tokyo Verde games will be extremely highly charged, uh, I am sure. So, uh, Lewis, we'll, uh, I think we'll begin to wrap it up there. I mean, uh, as J1 expands to 20 teams, this season with the year three coming up. Um, I'm sure you would bite uh, my hand off, Johnny's hand off. Um, you probably your own hand off as well to, to, <laughs> to guarantee a, a, a 16th placed uh, finish at the moment or 17th as well. I mean, you, you would uh, just dearly love to survive and have a, another season uh, in the top flight. As we've said, Joe Fuku is going to have them as well prepared as he can. Um, yeah. I'm sure you're going to really enjoy the ride while it, uh, while it's going, but um, yeah. How, how optimistic uh, have you allowed yourself to be during, uh, during the, the, the preseason and as things uh, get set to, uh, to, to kick off for your club on, uh, on Sunday at the national stadium? 
Uh, I, I I feel like I'm I'm quite Scottish about this kind of thing, and I, and I, I kind of I, I swing between like insane levels of totally unrealistic optimism and in utter despair. So I would absolutely buy anybody's hands or any other appendages <laughs> off to just to, to, to not get relegated uh, and immediately. Um, like the way I'm looking at it, like I'm I, I, I absolutely I'm buzzing for it, absolutely buzzing for it. But I think like it's it's a season of survival and of maybe some manner of consolidation. Um, I'd like to see some kind of um, interest in the club. I'd like somebody from the outside who aren't Zebio to have a look at the club and consider it, them to be a bit of an investment um, going forward, uh, like in, into some sort of like Imagine J1 future. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. I've already booked some uh, flights for away games down in Kyushu and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing. Um, I hope we're not garbage. I hope it's not miserable. But if we survive, I'll consider that a, a great season. Absolutely. And, and Johnny, um, yeah, you probably don't want to spoil your, your J-Pred, but um, yeah, what sort of hope do you give a Verdi of, uh, of hanging on and uh, yeah, playing in J1 again in 2025? As I kind of teased earlier, I think in a lot of people's JPEGs that they'll, they'll feature quite prominently, that they'll probably be the, the, the team that's picked to finish bottom most, I'd imagine. But as the team coming up from, from the playoff, you, you've got to expect that. I think reasons for hope, is, as, I, as I alluded to earlier, that the coach um, also, that as, as regular followers of J1 will know, that the number of kind of Verdi trained players who, who've stepped up to J1 comfortably in the past with, with other teams like you know, Joe Chima Fujita, uh, Kota Watanabe, Ryuya Yamashita, Ryuga Sato, Shinosuke Hatanaka, etc. It, it might be that these people like um, Morita, Inami, Fukuzawa can all come up and take to, to J1 like a, a fish to water. And also, even, even in J2, there's a tendency to look at Verdi squads and wonder where is the depth, where, where are the goals coming from. But they do tend to pull rabbits out of the hat with, with university players, the youth team players, kind of loanees returnees from, from loan. So, yeah, I still have faith that some of the players we mentioned earlier about having kind of giving them too much of a wrap might be able to kind of, kind of step up but yes as Lewis said any any form of survival that this year will be will be great so if they were to finish outside the the, the bottom three I think that would be amazing I, I don't I'd probably give them a puncher's chance of doing it but I think realistically I'd have them probably in my, in my bottom three if I'm honest but but yeah the, the coach does give me give me hope they can maybe maybe just escape what about yourself Ben? Well, yeah, I'm not a great trash talker, Johnny, so I'm not going to, um, yeah, I'm not going to talk them down too much. I think, yeah, as you say, they, they do have a puncher's chance, and um, I haven't nailed down my my J Pred at the moment, so um, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun ride uh, for Lewis and the, uh, all the other Verdi, uh, Verdi supporters, and uh, yeah, I hope they uh, they really enjoy the season and let the chips fall where they may. And what a way to uh, to return to J1 after 15 years away with, um, yeah, the National Stadium, the venue for their first game back against Yokohama F. Marinos on Sunday as uh, the J-League throws it back to the league's first ever match back in 1993. Absolutely uh, tremendous stuff. All right, then. So, Lewis, uh, again, thanks ever so much for joining us. We've, um, we've, uh, we've gone well over 50 minutes there, but I'm sure the listeners will forgive us as uh, when um, Verdi were last in J1, there was no such thing as a J-Talk podcast. So, yeah, we haven't had uh, the <laughs> opportunity to really chat about Verdi at all over the the journey of, of this podcast but uh, yeah it's great to have um 
you uh, well hopefully on board we haven't actually sorted this out have we but yeah hopefully you'll, you'll be our verdi correspondent uh, throughout the year uh, it's uh, great to uh, yeah to have you on for the first time as we uh, we look ahead to the new campaign and um yeah i'm sure you can't wait for sunday uh, we uh, we really hope you enjoy it thanks very much absolute pleasure being on so thanks very much for the invitation all right thanks again to lewis white after a, a quick hit of music johnny and i will be back to preview machida zelvia Thanks again to Lewis. And, uh, yeah, we mentioned uh, towards the end of our Verdi preview that, uh, yes, there are three Tokyo clubs uh, in the uh, top division for the first time ever in 2024. And uh, one of them, Machida Zelvia, was promoted to J1 for the first time in their history after running away with the J2 title in the 2023 campaign and completing a remarkable rise from 15th in 2022 to first and champions the very next season. They ultimately finished a whopping 12 points ahead of both Iwata and Tokyo Verdi. Of course, Iwata promoted automatically and Verdi through the playoffs. Uh, uh, Zelvia were top early doors and then they went back to the summit after winning a top of the table clash against Oita in match day 10, then stayed top the rest of the way. Reminding you listeners that uh, last season J2 played a 42 game schedule. So yes, from match day 10 onwards, all the way through match day 42, Zelvia were top of the pops. Uh, They peeled off two unbeaten runs of seven games and a further two of six, including at the end of the season when they finished with a wet sail, winning their last five. Their 79 goals for was first in the league and their 35 goals against was third best. Um, In attack, Eric led the way. Uh, The former uh, Yokohama F Marinos player made a uh, terrific impact on the club, scored 18 goals, even though he missed the last 12 games due to injury, and uh, Mitch Duke, the Australian striker, netted 10. In a similar vein to Verdi, we mentioned they had 21 different goal scorers. Well, Zelvia had 19 themselves. And uh, just a bit of backstory for listeners who aren't familiar with uh, Machida Zelvia. Uh, the club first entered the JFL in 2009. They were promoted after three years, but then uh, dropped straight back down after finishing bottom of J2 in 2012. They returned to the J League with the inception of J3 in uh, 2014, were promoted after two seasons there and spent eight years in the second tier before punching their ticket to the big time and Johnny yeah what a remarkable rise it was in in 2023 as I said all the way from 15th to first and um, yes they uh, yeah they ultimately cruised to the title yeah it's a, it a really really impressive performance a, a dominant performance uh, just to kind of add more to, to what you said that they were only outside the, the top two uh, after rounds one and two I think from, from round three onwards are always in the automatic promotion uh, places and yeah they were 15th the year before I think it is quite important to point out they were in the top six for maybe about 75 percent of the season then just completely disintegrated towards the end of uh, Ranko Popovich's um, 
is reigned there. So a lot of changes but before the season. I mean, it, it's easy to, to kind of throw insults at money bags or they, they bought the title, but I think that's not, as we've seen in, in, in J1 you know, and J2 as well, it's not a case of who has the most money or who signs the, the most players that people have heard of. There was a couple of big names up front. Obviously, you know, Mitch Duke's still international for Australia and international forwards don't don't come along too often in, in J2. He did very well, even if his goals for doesn't necessarily show how, how good a player he is. And Eric has won the league with, with, with Marinos before, and that was maybe a bit of a... You know, he, he's obviously too good for, for J2, and um, that was a fantastic bit, bit of business. And I think his goal-scoring ratio was, was at least you know 40% of his chances or 40% plus of his chances actually ended up in the back of the net, which is clearly ridiculous and, and unsustainable. But it was a fantastic showing before... Um, you know, before he got injured and then they brought in the Fugio from Serizo and he, he did a good job in his, his absence. But a lot of the players that they just brought in from, from other J2 clubs that had performed well the previous year or previous seasons and it's such for the, the, the length of the changes, uh, the, the breadth of the changes and bringing in a new coach, it, it was very, it would be very difficult to, to make a, a quick start, one would think. But you know, they, they, got, they got the team settled early, got, got on a good run. They obviously bought into what the new coach was doing. And actually, quite surprisingly, they made quite a few changes in the summer. Like Lewis said, they made a rather controversial move to bring in Vasquez Byron from, from Tokyo Verde. Um, and they also they promoted some of the younger players who weren't playing so much in the first part of the season, which, which really helped them because I think they were very good in the first part of the season, but they did tend to win an awful lot of games by, by the odd goal, and they did just enough to win, and that can sometimes kind of come back to bite you in the second half of the season. So they, they freshened things up. They, they made a lot of transfers, but where we've maybe seen scattergun approaches from other clubs, I, I got the feeling there was a clear strategy and a clear plan from from the coach and the, and the players behind the, the the people behind the scenes at Machida. So yeah, really good stuff for them. A, a really positive story all round. Dominant from start to finish, and you know, a, a bit like buses for, for for Tokyo. You know, you had one one club for so long. Now you've got two two new clubs have come along at once, and you've got three in, in the top flight, which is is fantastic for the city, and, and hopefully it produces fireworks for for all three clubs concerned. Yes, indeed, very well said. And yeah, I mean, Eric is um, yeah, it's a remarkable story, and I mean, the fact that he's come back to Japan, as you say, having won the league with the F Marinos in 2019. I mean, yeah, so he was basically available to um, to any any club in uh, in the J League that could pony up the the money for him. And I, I think um, it's a question without notice, Johnny, but it has to be the most significant signing that any club in any of the three divisions of the J League made in, in 2023, doesn't it? Because uh, your, your point is a good one that they were yeah in the top six for quite a while in 2022, but ultimately it's a it's a dreadful finish down in 15th. Um, so yeah, maybe. Uh, that uh, was a false position, but the the fact that they've been able to run away with the title uh, so convincingly, and Eric, a, a new player into the club, has made such a uh, such a massive contribution, and as you said, being so um, efficient with his uh, with his chances as well. I mean, he's um, yeah, for me, he has to be the the the, the most significant signing that was uh, that, that came into the, the the league in his case, back into the league in in the the previous year. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a brilliant signing. And I, I'd argue, I mean, the match of the squad was obviously there to get promoted. But I think he was he was clearly the difference between automatic promotion and, and going into the playoffs, which is obviously much more of a lottery. 
And mm. the, the signing, I mean, I mean, it leaves egg on the faces of of some kind of minted clubs. For, for example, our two clubs in J1, who, like you said, if they had moved for Eric, would likely have, have gotten. He would. I don't think he's. He obviously has a, a tendency, a leaning towards Marinos from his time time there, but. I, I doubt he would have chose Machida over Gamba or Machida over FC Tokyo or, or Kashima Reza or Kashima Antlers or Urawa, whoever. If they, as you say, if they ponied up the money, I think he would have been quite happy to return to one of the big urban areas in Japan. And mm. he's, had, he's had a nasty knee injury. So, yeah, we're going to kind of, kind of come on to it later. Like, I think there's varying degrees of, of positivity or maybe maybe not so positivity about how Machida are going to do. I think the the return from injury of of Eric is going to be going to be crucial because with, with the other main striker Mitch Duke, yeah, he's aging like a fine wine, but he, he is getting on. If you're a match of the supporter, you're very happy to have international players, but you might not be so happy to have a kind of veteran spend a large part of his off season involved in a, a competitive international competition. So yeah, a lot resting on on the return of Eric and yeah. We'll get into that later, but I think your point's a good one, Ben. Absolutely fantastic bit of business for Machida and probably the most significant signing, yeah, of 2023. Yep, all right then. So the transfer's out. Um, I'm just going to mention two names, Johnny, and you can talk about some of the others if you like. But as we mentioned with Lewis, uh, the left-back Hijiri Onaga has uh, left to join uh, fellow promoted club uh, Tokyo Verdi with uh, the goalkeeper William Pope, uh, the only other player to leave for a J1 club um, as a transfer out uh, from from Zelvia to another top flight team. So, um, yes, they, they have a huge squad and there are a number of outs. But, yeah, for me, most of them are, well, it's harsh to say insignificant. But in terms of the, uh, yeah, the, the key players from uh, from 2023, I don't think they've lost an enormous amount. Yeah, yeah, I think think you're spot on. And, and like, like Verdi, there's, there's a lot of names there, but... Yeah, Pope in goals, and we'll go into his replacement. I, I don't think he'll be a massive loss. Onaga, again, Machida used a, a back three and a back four at various times last season. And Onaga is really a kind of bona fide left back. I think he can also play at right back. So when we look at the kind of composition of this year's squad, I think he would have been quite useful if they were planning to play like 4 4 2 every week. But um, if they are going to play a kind of 3 4 2 1 or, or, or 3 5 2, whatever they want to do. Um, uh, he might not be the, the best option. Um, I, I think he might, you know, if they get injuries in that position, I think he might be a bit of a loss, probably the, the biggest loss for them. And then the, the other player I'd mention would be uh, Renji Matsui, who was was alone from, from Kawasaki, and, and Neil mentioned him, I think, last week. He, he wasn't sure whether it was Kawasaki really wanted him back or Matsui didn't really want him. It, it remains to be seen. But other than that, I just wrote down a, a former favourite of, of FC Tokyo, Kosuke Ota. He he just kind of returned to, to match it at the, the tail end of his career. Uh, he didn't play an awful lot. He he retired. And Adam Nielsen, who they, they brought in to, to replace the, the injured um, Eric, did, did absolutely nothing of the kind. And I think he only played a couple of games. And he's he's been released. Um, for, former Gamba player, who was, of course, released back in 2020 for, for drink driving and then went off to China. But I think, yeah, o, o, Ota is a, is, a, is a famous face in the past. Uh, Adam Wilson's had, had a good run in G, G League in the past, but 2023 was not, not their season. I, I'd say, yeah, no, Onaga, the, the biggest loss, Pope second, and then maybe Matsui third, but a, a very strong base to build on for, for the coming season. Yes, absolutely. And so, yes, their ownership uh, under uh, yeah, cyber agent have certainly uh, splashed the cash in this uh, winter 
transfer window. And, um, yeah, I mean, I could reel off a number of names here, Johnny. And, uh, well, yeah, I'm going to. But, um, yeah, there's uh, a, a massive number of ins and a number of them look extremely significant. So we mentioned that uh, Pope has gone uh, the the goalkeeper uh, goalkeeper has gone to F Marinosa in his place comes uh, Corsetani of course on loan from from Gamba Osaka and uh, as you mentioned right back I think in our first uh, preview episode Johnny uh, eligible to play against his parent mm-hmm. club in uh, in match day one so yeah that's uh, definitely a, a subplot to watch at uh, the Gion Stadium on Saturday afternoon um, yes a number of big names have uh, come in as well including again Shoji the central defender from Kashima. We'll see what he's got left in the tank. Um, arguably not much, but uh, we'll, uh, yeah, as I said, we'll wait and see. Uh, Shota Fujio and Shunta Araki uh, have uh, joined on full transfers after loans last season from Cerezo Osaka and Tosu, respectively. Uh, Keia Sento is a very interesting uh, player to uh, to come in uh, from Kashiwa after uh, down seasons with uh, Raisol and Nagoya uh, over the uh, yeah the past couple of years and he hasn't kicked on since leaving Tosu so he will hope to uh, re- reignite his uh, career at the Gion Stadium while well, a former FC Tokyo winger Na Sung Ho returns to the J League from FC Seoul and is a player that I'll uh, definitely be keeping a close eye on. Uh, Osei Hoon has come in on loan from uh, Shimizu, uh, the, the the big striker, and uh, Kai Shibato is uh, on loan from Urawa, the central midfielder. Uh, but uh, I know I've left some meat on the bone for you there, Johnny, after, as I said, a very hectic winter at the Gion Stadium. Which of these transfers do you think will uh, be the most significant for Zelvia in 2024? Well, where, where to start here? So I'm, I'm going to start <laughs> starting goals to we'll work our way forward. Uh, Kose Tani, yeah, 12 months ago, this would be an absolutely fantastic signing. Everyone would be purring over. After the year he had, the first half of the season with Gamba and then going to Belgium and getting injured, it doesn't have quite the shine to it. But, you know, the, he's seen the, the, the Asian Cup goalkeepers he was competing with. Like He was the first choice in the, the Tokyo Olympics ahead of Osako, ahead of Suzuki, ahead of you know, everyone else. So he's, he's seen his chances almost go up in flames. So this is his shot at redemption. And I think you know, he's got a, 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 reasonable, a reasonable shot of doing it because, you know, Machida, they've got, they've got you know, owners with big plans and that they build a new stand, but they don't have that big a, a fan base. They're not going to be people like baying for blood if, if things don't go particularly well at the start of the season, which, which might happen at a club like, like, a, like a Gamba as kind of happened last season. So it might be kind of familiar to, to the situation. It, it's shown in and bring the best out of them. And I really hope it does. Uh, like we said with, with Yamami, I think Tani, the fact that he can play against Gamba, uh, I think he, he will go or probably join Machida permanently if he does well. I don't think he'll be back at Gamba anytime soon. And the, the other goalkeeper, Louis Yamaguchi for, for Mito, he was a really, really good goalkeeper at Mito. So if it if it doesn't work out for, for Tani, they, they do have a good backup in, in Yamaguchi. I, I've got faith in him. And then the defence, yeah, I've mentioned that I think that the players they have defensively, the defensive players they have suits a back three with wing backs, but the attacking players they have suits more of a 4-4-2 to fit more of them in. So... How, how he works that out potentially versus di- different opponents. He, he did play various variations, 3-4-2-1, 4-1-4-1, 4-3-3, 4-4-2. 
but we will see d- different varieties of, of formation. Shoji, I think, has been made the captain, but that's more to do with the influence he has off the field. He talks for, he talks a very good game, even if he doesn't necessarily play such a good game these days. And uh, <laughs> Ibrahim Drezovic, uh, 25 caps for, for Kosovo, played in Sweden, right. um, Sweden Holland, uh, came over from, from Turkey. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I don't know anything about him, but he does have a very good pedigree, so hopefully he can he can play in defence um, ahead of Shoji. Um, and then you've got uh, yeah, Kotaro Hayashi, who impressed a bit at, at Yokohama FC. More, more as a wing-back, he can play as full-back, so it's that, that left side where you've got him, you've got maybe Okuyama could switch over to play there. And then Kazuki Fujimoto, who's coming from Oita, is more of a winger-slash-wing-back, so I don't think you could get away with playing him at left-back, so... I mean, an injury to Hayashi, and you're almost forced to play that 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 back three. Um, yeah, f- further forward, I think you know when I come on to the, the overall match of the squad, that there's a lot of reason to be positive, especially the, the attack. Uh, and there's a few young players I'm going to come to later that we haven't seen in J1. I'm really excited about. There is a bit of a nagging doubt though if you look at the squad a certain way that there's a lot of players that maybe Kai Shibato sort of represents of. Uh, Nasang Ho as well. They have a big name J1 club on their resume, Akashima, Anurawa, FC Tokyo, Gamba, but they didn't do particularly well there. So how all of these players ma- mesh together remains to be seen. I think mm. you know, Shibato goes in there with, with like, so like Kaito Yasui and Hokuto Shimoda, who, who again, they've all played for big J1 clubs, but it's not really a surprise they're not still there. So Interesting to see how they go, and and also Kia Sento seems to have ants in his pants. I think he changes club every year, so he's a, he's a very good squad player. Whether they get a good starter out of him, and whether he goes in as a as a holding midfielder, a winger, a number ten, remain, remains to be seen. And then yeah, Ose Hoon. It's quite interesting because he went to Shimizu, absolutely bullied the Gamba defence, and got got a goal. I think in his debut or his first start. And then the, I think Thiago Santana came back and they had way too many foreigners, so he just disappeared after that. And Machida also have the same problem. They've got, they've got seven foreigners, I believe. Drezovic, Jiang Mingyu, Nasang Ho, Vasquez, Eric, Duke, and, and Ose Hoon. So it, when Eric and Duke come back, I don't know if he'll get a chance. Um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, the only other thing I'd mention, Fujio, um, Shota Fujio has made his, his loan move uh, permanent from Serizo. I'm not sure why Serizo did not want him. Um, maybe we'll find the answer this season. But they seem to loan them out. He always did well on his loans, and he, he went back a couple of times. Then they loaned them out again. So, yeah, interested to see him in J1 because he has a, a good bit of potential about him. And uh, Shunta Araki, uh, he was on loan from from Sagan Tosu, and he he did very well at the start of last season. I think he slightly faded towards the end, but he's turned his loan deal into a permanent one. A massive, massive squad match. How, how they. How they manage it and keep everyone everyone fit and happy and what, what system exactly they play, yeah. There's a lot of moving parts. I, I I was yeah. I had a bit of an idea in my head before and now I've talked all that talk and I'm a bit more confused to be honest. I hope it was clearer to, to people listening. But a lot of changes, a lot of chances to be positive. But yeah, there's also a bit of a mishmash in the middle where things could go one way or the other. Well, yeah, but as a, a, a promoted team, and yeah, up in the top flight for the uh, the first time in the history, as we've mentioned, yeah, I mean, you you can't fault uh, the ownership for uh, for backing the uh, the coach uh, Go Kuroda with um, yes uh, ammunition 
to to really go about uh, solidifying Machida's status in the top flight. And uh, Corrado, yeah, what, I mean, what a story it is. Uh, this uh, this club, as we mentioned, they'd, uh, they're, they've never been promoted to the top flight before this season, but they uh, they have been ambitious over the journey and some of the, the names in the dugout over the, the years um, certainly, uh, yeah, bear that out um, in, in spades. I mean, the, the likes of uh, Ranko Popovich, who uh, Johnny's mentioned, uh, in uh, two spells with uh, in charge of Zelvia, uh, and now, of course, uh, takes over uh, Kashima Antlers this season. Uh, now Kisoma has also managed uh, Zelvia in uh, two spells in their history. Of course, they had the uh, the terrific Argentinian Aussie Ardidiez in charge uh, back uh, about 10, 12 years ago, and uh, the former Japan international uh, Yutaka Akita was also in charge of, of Zelvia for a time as well. So they've had some big names over the journey, but uh, Kuroda was the one to lead them to the promised land. And uh, yes, he, he did it in his first season at the club after almost 20 years coaching the high school powerhouse, Aomori Yamada High School. And um, yeah, what what a story it is, uh, Johnny, for, for him to, uh, to make the leap to the professional ranks, as we said, after so long uh, in charge of, um, yeah, high school students. Uh, but yeah, an, an elite um, an elite group of uh, of youngsters, and he was able to to make the step up to the professional game, and um, yes, yeah, steer his side up into the top flight. So um, yeah, I, I wonder if there could be a better qualified man to be in charge of this um, this mishmash of uh, of new signings, and um, I'm sure yeah, he's uh, yeah he, he'll be licking his lips at the fact uh, that yeah the, the the club have backed him so extensively in the off season and um it's just going to be fascinating to see the 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 product he puts out on the pitch obviously there won't be the finished article in, in match day 1 when they when they host gumba but um yeah as they work their way through the the first month or so the first couple of months of the season it's going to be really interesting to see how many of these new signers get a chance and um how much faith Corrado keeps in the players that got Zelvia up to J1 in the first place. Yeah, I think Kuroda had me eating humble pilot last season because when I was doing my, my J-Pred for, for 2023, I, I think I quite successfully identified that Machida and Shimizu had the, had the strongest squads, but then I thought J2 is so unpredictable that the two teams with the strongest squads are never going to get promoted. So I, um, in all my wisdom, I put Shimizu number one and Machida number four because I, I thought you know, match this coach is completely <laughs> untested and naturally they finished completely the other way around. So no, no hate mail, please, Shimizu fans. But um, yeah, he, he really, yeah, he really took to it like a, like a duck to water. And as you rightly say, I mean, even, even as, as a teacher, for me, I sometimes go from teaching high school kids to teaching full grown adults. It's not, it's not that easy. They are very, very different. Even if he has worked with kind of fine players like, uh, like Kuryu Matsuki or Gaku Shibasaki in, in the past at Amori Yamada, it's probably quite a big difference coaching like 17 year olds to then having you know internationals like Mitch Duke who've played in the the World Cup or Eric's lifted lifted J1. Get, getting their respect quick, quickly is not not easy. And yeah, I was very impressed by how he managed to to kind of get 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 the team performing well. That a bit like Verdi, they, they, they like to be quite solid defensively, and then they like to play really really pounce with quick counter attacks. Where, where Eric was absolutely deadly last season, and, and someone I'll talk about a little bit later, Yu Hirakawa, he also thrived with, with, with his pace, and they're a very very efficient team, but very organised. So, yeah, go Kuroda. It's amazing to think um, he's only 53, but this is only his second season as a professional coach. He was at 
and what Yamada for, for so long. And you know, he used a couple of his old players, I think Zento Uno and, and Yudai Fujiwara, who was there last season alone from Reds. They both played with him at, at high school and then they played with him again with, with Machida. So there's always no one to compare him to because he's, he's been in high school football, which doesn't really translate to other countries if I try to compare it. And he's mm. gone from J2 and now he's in J1. And Machida, as you say, that the, the squad, when we look at it, usually, as we said with, with Lewis, it's a very common question to ask, what, where are the goals coming from? That question doesn't really exist with Machida because we've laid out, you know, you've got, you've got Duke, you've got Eric, you've got Osehun, you've got, you've got Fujio, you've got a whole host of midfielders, Nasang Ho, he's got multiple caps for, for South Korea. Um, yeah, so it, it's uncharted territory, which makes it hard for us to predict. But I, I can say with, with certainty, Kuroda is a, is a good coach. He's shown it in high school, he's shown it in J2, and I'm, I'm sure he's about to show us in, in J1 this season. Yes, indeed. Very well said, Johnny. All right, let's uh, move on to our ones to watch. And um, I'll go first, Johnny, if you don't mind. And, yeah, mine is Sholta Fujio, as you say. Um, yeah, a little bit of a head-scratcher that uh, Cerezo have um, deemed him entirely surplus to requirements and uh, sanctioned his uh, full transfer to to Zelvia. But, uh, yeah, the Zelvia supporters will be, um, yeah, absolutely pumped to have uh, Fujio uh, a Zelvia player for good after his uh, eight goals in in 2023 uh, terrific future for him um, uh, I think is pretty much guaranteed he looks a, a, a terrific player a very well-rounded forward and um, yes obviously with the uh, yeah, doubts I think about whether Eric will be a hundred percent fit to start the new season and obviously as Johnny's mentioned Mitch Duke um, yeah very uh, worn out I'm sure from the Asian Cup but uh, yeah he'll be uh, hoping to to be up and running for the start of the new season. But yes, in Fujio, they have a, a very versatile forward who uh, is able to yeah fit in wherever required uh, around the uh, the attacking areas and a player that uh, Kuroda knows he can rely on after his exploits last season. So, uh, Johnny, who have you plumped for? I think you might have teased it in your previous answer. If it's okay, I might give a give a bonus if I can give a, a Machida specific answer, and also if I can slot in one of Johnny's J League um, ones to watch. Absolutely terrific. Go, yep. Go for the the Machida one first. It's um it's Kuryu Matsuki's old uh, high school teammate Zento Uno, who who really came onto a game in the the second part of last season. I think he he broke his foot in the, the first part of the season, which was his, his second year as a as a professional, but then he went on to make 18 appearances and, and score three goals at, uh, at the back end of the, the, the season. He's, he's a very good ball winner. He's a, a Paris Olympics candidate, gets around the field well, and yeah, he, he has the kind of energy I think match they're going to need. I, I don't expect him to start from, from game one, but they have a few more, more experienced J1 players in the centre of midfield, but I think by the end of the season, he will be a be a regular player, and he'll probably have... Um, other J1 clubs and, and potentially some European sides looking at him in the not too distant future. So he's my he's my Machida one to watch. Uh, also for Machida, and uh, you're quite right. They said I I, um, I tipped it earlier. Uh, it's another winger for for Johnny's uh, league wide ones to watch. Uh, Yu Hirakawa, very very pacey. Um, last year was officially his um, his debut season as a, as a pro, even though he'd been out on one of the, the, the designated special player contracts in 2021 and 2022. And I think I think he played quite a lot the, the previous year, 2022. But um, 35 appearances, six goals, four assists, can play as a winger or as a number 10, can play on either side. 
but very, very effective. And I'm really, really looking forward to see, seeing how, how he does this year. The, the, the only maybe downside is maybe slight temper issue for five yellow cards. And he also got a, a red card for, for two two separate yellows in the, in the same game. But yeah, I think he's one of the ones um, to, to, to really keep keep your eye on going forward. Hirakawa on the wing and Zento Uno in, in central midfield. De- definitely keep your eyes peeled for that duo. Very well done there, Johnny. So, yeah, definitely a, a couple of uh, youngsters that uh, I think regular uh, listeners of, uh, of Bay, uh, Big Pod exclusively might not be familiar with. So, uh, yeah, Yu Hirakawa and Zento Uno, keep your eyes peeled for them in 2024. And uh, so then, Johnny, as we begin to wrap Zelvia up, um, what are their prospects for the new campaign? As we've said, they've splashed the cash. They've uh, backed Gokuroda with a, a number of uh, players. They've expanded the squad. Um, some might argue it's a little bit too uh, bloated to cope in uh, in J1, but uh, we, we shall certainly see. The, the club is clearly aiming high. Um, in Eric, they have an elite proven J1 forward who, um, yeah, I think is um, ready to have a massive impact on uh, on how Zelvia go in uh, 2024. And, um, well, we asked the same question with, with Lewis, uh, Johnny. So it, it obviously applies to Machida as well. Does the amount of derbies uh, and rivalries this season for uh, Zelvia and Verdi give them an advantage or disadvantage compared with Iwata? Um, are you expecting Machida to be scrapping around in the bottom six with the with, with the likes of Verdi and Iwata, or do you have them uh, much higher in the table as uh, you begin to piece your predicted table together? I'll be honest. I think out of the twenty teams, Machida the one I, I have least certainty about. Uh, I think like with Verdi. Um, they might not go down, but I'm pretty confident they will be down around there. Like I said, with with Shonan or Tosu, I think Machida have a have a high ceiling and a low floor. If that makes sense, I, I can kind of see them either doing one one of two things, like maybe similar to what Oita did a few years ago, and they start like a house on fire and they're up the top the, the first few weeks, but then they gradually kind of drift away to like a kind of eighth or ninth, or they may kind of go down the the Niigata route from last season where they. A couple of eye-catching early performances, but then they drift away, but then reinforce in the summer and kind of bounce back strongly. I think they'll be somewhere in the middle in that kind of 8th to 13th, 14th range. I, mm. it, I mean, any newly promoted team, it can obviously go horribly wrong, but I think the percentage chance of them going down, I think, is, is very low, especially compared to the other two teams. The, the amount of goal-storing options that they have is is staggering for a newly promoted sign, but I don't think the defence is particularly good. You know, if you look at, you remember Junior Suzuki from his time at FC Tokyo, he, he's been a regular there. If you've got him and Gen Shoji at the back, um, it might not be particularly brilliant the whole way through through the team. And maybe if you can uh, cr- cross out the, kind of the, the, the two forwards, the team doesn't look amazingly like a, a top six side. So, I mean, yeah, if things go well, they could definitely get a seventh or eighth. And they're definitely not going to be in the bottom three, but there's the, a couple of injuries or not really happening for Eric when he comes back. Then they could just kind of slip down to, to kind of mid-table, but below mid-table, 14th, 15th. But yeah, I'm generally pretty, pretty positive. I, I think there's a decent chance they could be in your in your top 10. Um, maybe over over 50% chance they could be in the top 10. But um, yeah, as you probably picked up from this this little piece, I'm, I'm in two minds at how, how much credit I should give them or how much kind of how I should temper my optimism I'll say they'll be in the top half but maybe around ninth or tenth what about yourself Ben 
Yeah, I'm expecting right around mid-table. So, yeah, ninth uh, to 12th, I think, is where they're likely to finish. But, uh, again, um, in their first season at this level, um, they they certainly have brought in a number of players with, with top-flight experience. So that's uh, that's nothing uh, to sneeze at. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an adjustment period, I'm sure, for, uh, yeah, most of this squad. And uh, Kuroda, of course, as well, the manager. Um, I don't know, Johnny. This is a question I was planning to ask you without notice at the at the end of the episode after we've talked about Iwata as well. But I, I think the the way that Verdi and um, Machida have approached the off season, well, it, it's noticeably different. But as Lewis mentioned, um, you know, budget restraints uh, mean that Verdi were never going to be able to attack the the off season the way that Machida has. But it, do you think there's a, a right way to go about? Um, coming up to, to J1 for um, for, for a, a club from J2. I, I, I mean, for the first time in the case of Machida, the first time in 15 years um, for, for, for Verdi. So for all intents and purposes, yeah, it's the first time in forever. So, um, the, yeah, obviously all, diff, each different club has their, uh, their financial restraints and, um, you know, uh, other factors come into the, the players that they're able to sign or not. And, um, I thought about not asking the question at all because it's, it's uh, you know, the, the league has expanded, it's de- decreased, and uh, the number of relegation spots has, has uh, shifted, um, I think, every year for the last three or four years, right? So it, it's really hard to pinpoint, I guess, a, a magic formula for what a club needs to do to um, uh, to, to really set themselves up for a, a first season in the top flight. But the way that you look at the how these two clubs that we previewed to this point have, have gone about it, um, I don't know, have Machida almost bitten off more than they can chew? It's, it's a really good question, Ben. And it might, might be something actually about in future pods we could, we could put to, to various guests to, to see. I, I tend to think that there's not there's not a right way, but there probably is a wrong way, if that makes sense. Um, if we look at the three teams that have come up this year, we'll, we'll go on to Jubilo uh, sh- shortly, but they all have very different circumstances in terms of you know, f- finance, and you know, Jubilo had a transfer embargo last year, so that the kind of reinforcement required was was a bit different. I mm. feel like, you know, speaking of, of, of yo-yo clubs like, like Jubilo, but the likes of them and, and Yokohama FC, you feel like if, if anyone has knowledge of what is the difference between a J1 level player and a J2 level player, it should be those kind of clubs that are constantly going between the two divisions. Yeah. I feel though that like, last year, Yokohama FC, and I think it was a couple of years before that, Matsumoto did it in J1 and J2, bringing in like 20 players from J1, J2, J3, overseas, college football, high school, it, it's just a recipe for disaster. I, I think Machida do have a a good enough base of, of players like the, the, the forwards and, and players who have been, if they've not necessarily been regulars, have been in very high performance environments at other J1 clubs that even if they have kind of bought to excess, we might say, I think they can still ride that out and probably loan a few of the, the, the players um, out. So, yeah, probably to, to answer your question, um, there's not there's not one right way. It's probably specific, but club by club. But the, the wrong way is definitely to go about it scattergun. And actually, I realised that I didn't answer your question earlier about, about Derby. So I'll just I'll segue on to that if it's OK. So what I'm interested actually to ask you, from, from a Kansai perspective, you know, we all, I, I've been guilty of calling them Kansai derbies, and I, I used to train lines like Keihan for, for Kyoto versus Gamba or Kyoto versus uh, Serizo or, or Hanshin for, 
for Gamba versus Vissel or um, Vissel versus Cerezo, but mm-hmm. you know, Gamba Cerezo is a derby. Gamba Vissel has had a bit more spite in the last few years, but Gamba Kyoto is basically a, a convenient away game that there's no negative feeling yeah. in the club. So I wonder, is that the feeling about from especially from FC Tokyo to Machida, it's just a well, I don't know if you can call Machida a convenient away day given how how hard it is to get to the stadium, but it's in the same city. But is it really a derby? Well, I I, I don't think it is. I mean, um, you, the you know that the J League is going to try and um, concoct something, and yeah, maybe over time if, if Zelvia can establish themselves and really uh, kick on in J One and. Um, be the, uh, the the noisy little brother, then yeah, maybe um, FC Tokyo supporters will will take the the fixture um, more seriously in a in a derby kind of a, aspect of uh, I I mean yeah, obviously every uh, every game is taken seriously, but yeah, the the fact that um, it, it's a, a prefectural rival in in this case, uh, yeah, I don't as far as I know the the, the two clubs have never faced off in in a competitive game before in any uh, in any competition, so. Uh, yeah, we're we're part of the same prefecture, but um, none of the three clubs actually play in the center of Tokyo on a on a regular basis. So, um, you know, a lot of um, jokes are made at FC Tokyo's expense about being a Chofu FC, and you know, I I, I take that on board, and I wish the club would um, would relocate to a, a more central location. And uh, obviously, people have said that um, yes, yeah, Cyber Agent are um, have. Uh, you know, tried to rebrand as uh, as Tokyo Machida Zelvia and all this kind of stuff. So they they want to uh, yeah really put a a marker down in Tokyo. But um, yeah, being out in the uh, in the western suburbs of the prefecture in in the city of Machida is um, yeah a, a difficult way to to really nail down the the center of the city. But um, yeah, up to this point, you, you yeah you have to commend um, the way that uh, the club have got to this point and it's just a matter of if, uh, yeah, f- from now, if they can take the, the right steps to establish themselves and yeah, along the way, then yeah, they'll, they'll, they hope they'll go from uh, noisy little brother to um, yeah, legitimate rivals. And uh, yeah, we'll wait and see, as we say, how the, uh, the J league will go about uh, constructing uh, this particular rivalry that, as uh, Lewis said, they they've tried to make one with, uh, with Verdi that hasn't really caught on until uh, the, the Byron Vasquez situation last season. But um, yeah, it's a, a really interesting little subplot, I think, to uh, to the 2024 campaign. So, uh, yeah, we, we've we said it, I think, with each and every club to this point. But, uh, yeah, we really mean it this time. Machida's season is going to be a fascinating one. And, um, yeah, it sounds like both Johnny and I are both positive about uh, how they might get on and their chances of survival. I wonder if uh, we can say the same at the end of our preview of uh, Jubilo Iwata, the uh, the third and final team we'll preview on this episode. Uh, I- Iwata were promoted from J2 after finishing second, uh, goal difference ahead of Verdi, and uh, most importantly for them, a point ahead of prefectural rivals. Shimizu. Uh, they finished uh, 12 points adrift of uh, Machida, as did uh, Verdi, of course, and bounced uh, straight back up, having finished bottom of uh, J1 in 2022. And they've split their time evenly between J1 and J2 in the past 10 years. But of course, back in the day, 
They were three-time J1 champions uh, all the way back in the late 90s and the early 2000s. So a club with pedigree that, um, yeah, has fallen on uh, hard times. But, uh, yeah, back in the top flight for this new season. Last year in J2, of course, a 42-game season. There are 74 goals for was the third best in the division. They had eight players get at least five goals with uh, Dudu, Rio Germain and Masaya Matsumoto leading the way with uh, nine apiece, while uh, central midfielder Ricky Wehara got eight. And their uh, 44 goals against was a joint fourth best in the division. So, yes, they've left S-Pulse in their dust, Johnny, and they've returned to the top flight. And I believe the transfer embargo is now a thing of the past. So they've, um, yes, they've attacked uh, getting some uh, some new blood in to the team. And um, yeah, I guess all things considered, they do deserve uh, they do deserve credit for bouncing straight uh, back up to uh, J1 at the first time of asking. Yeah, definitely. At the start of last season, I didn't give them much chance of promotion. I thought they'd have finished about 8th or ninth or 10th. Um, the squad seemed seemed old and it'd been up and down a, a couple of times between J, J1 and J2. And it really looked, looked like it, it was in need of, of urgent kind of refurbishment, which which couldn't happen. I think they only they promoted Keisuke Goto from, from their youth team and well, he, he provided an instant boost. I think they lost it. At home was at 3-2 to Okayama on the opening day, and he he came on as a sub, a bundle of energy, and got a couple of goals, and that that really sparked them in attack. And I think it it lit a rocket up uh, Rio Germain's backside. That was his first season in, in J2, and he did he did very well. A player had never really impressed me in in, uh, in J1, but yeah, he, he definitely looked 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 the business in, in J2. As did uh, Komatsubara, who former Shimizu player again. He'd done all right in spells, but I had a very poor spell in in Europe. But I think he returned and was was very good on, on the left side of defence and got got a number of goals and assists for them. Um, but yeah, Goto was a was a new player, and then they brought back a few kind of low knees who, who'd been out. Um, but I think only really the centre back Kaito Suzuki was the only one that played kind of regularly. So um, a new coach came in and he was able to to get the best out of these players. Um, Again, everyone chipped in. No one, no one scored double figures, but but everyone, like even from midfield, Uehara, as you said, scored a lot of goals. Dudu, who didn't play much in, in J1, he, he really stepped up in, in J2. So it, it really was a, a team effort. I think in the end, you know, Jubilo, uh, Shimizu and Verdi, you could almost have thrown a blanket over all, all three of them. Uh, I don't want to say we can patronise in Shimizu, but, you know, if you could have brought them up too with Verdi and Jubilo, I think it would have been, been quite fitting. But ultimately, I think Jubilo thrashed um, thrashed Mito 5-0 at home and then Mito held Shimizu to a draw. And that, that was the difference. They were able to just put their foot down at the end and get the job done, whereas Shimizu choked. So, yeah, uh, absolute delight for, for Jubilo, prefectural bragging rights. And it, it's good to see them back. I, I love teams in, in, in light blue kits. It always looks really good. And as you say, Ben, they've won the league three times. They're a historical club. And it is good to see them back. Uh, how long are they going to stay? I, I guess we'll get on to But yeah, yeah, good stuff from Jubilo last season. And uh, I wish we can start off positive in, in our, uh, our preview of them. Yes, yes, indeed. So, uh, well, yeah, uh, uh, on a, a slightly negative note, let's uh, let's switch to the the players that have left the club in this uh, winter transfer window. Then, with their, their transfers out, 
Um, yeah, probably the biggest one is that Yuto Suzuki, who's a 10 assists last year, were the joint best in J2. He's uh, gone to Seanan Belmare, and um, yes, very much uh, a sideways move on paper. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see how that works out for uh, for Suzuki. Uh, Fabian Gonzalez, the forward, has uh, stayed in J2 and uh, signed for Kofu. While uh, the um, well, the, I was going to say the veterans, but it's it's hard to uh, yeah compare um, well or put Yasuhito Endo and Yuki Otsu on the on the same uh, on the same level. Um, yes, the the all time legend of the J League, uh, Yasuhito Endo, has uh, retired, and uh, Yuki Otsu a an extremely good uh, player in his day, uh, both retired at the end of the 2023 season. But um, yeah, again, you can feel free to uh, uh, no- nominate some uh, some other players that have left the club if you feel their absence will be keenly felt, Johnny. But yeah, but for me, um, yeah, Suzuki is the main one. And I mean, Gonzalez, they weren't really relying on him for, for too many goals in the first place. So I'm not sure that his uh, loss will be especially keenly felt, especially when we come on to the transfers in. But um, yeah, wondering how you think about the uh, the players that have left the club uh, in the winter. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Suzuki is the the big loss. Although, as, as we'll come on to it, um, you know, I think Jubilo could have fixed the, the, the issue but by signing a, a, a good replacement, which they haven't really done. I think it makes sense in certain, like in a certain way, because you know, the last season Jubilo went, they've been a back three team for, for a long time, but they were, they were a 4 2 3 1 side last year, and Suzuki played mainly as a right back. And I don't think he's really a, a right back at J1 level. So going to Shona makes sense in that he can play as a, as a wing back on, on either side or even as an inside forward. And he's not as exposed defensively. So it makes a lot of sense for Suzuki and for Shonan. But um, yeah, I think they've been a bit of a hash of, of actually replacing him. Uh, of the others that have gone, again, I don't want to sound like a, a broken record, but that, that transfer ban really has kind of skewered like, you're almost having two two years worth of transfers being done in this window by Jubilo. So it makes an awful lot of sense that players like like Naoki Hata, the long-serving goalkeeper, Endo and, and Yuki Otsu, they've all retired at the end of this season. And I think the long-serving experienced midfielder, Kosuke Yamamoto, he's gone to, to Matsumoto in J3. So quite interesting because for, for as far back as I can remember, Jubilo have always been an ageing side. But just looking at the squad composition, now only, only three outfielders are, are 30 or above. So there's been a but a big change. Um, the other players I'd mention would be um, Dudu, who's, who's now, uh, he's changed his name to Eduardo now that he's gone to Jeff because they already have a Dudu. Um, but yeah, he didn't play much in, in J1 <laughs> last year, but nine goals and 104 shots in 39 games. So he definitely shoot on sight. Um, we'll, we'll go on to the kind of Brazilian arrivals but uh, in a minute, but I'm, I'm slightly. I think the fans were a bit slightly perplexed that he he'd gone. I'm, I'm not convinced all the new Brazilians are actually better than than the one they've just let go. Um, but but that remains to be seen. And also I I talked earlier about about Keisuke Goto. He he came up from the youth team last year and he promptly impressed so much that he's now going to Anderlecht's um, under 23 side in, in Belgium on a, a loan deal. So I doubt we'll see him back anytime this season. That'll be a bit a bit of a loss, but. Again, it remains to be seen how, how the, the newcomers do to, to see how much of a loss that will be. But yes, it's Suzuki, the big loss, and the others kind of all about kind of bringing the average age of the squad down, I think. So like, like the other two sides, a number of players have gone out, but none, not, not too many that really hurt the, the starting 11 too much. 
Right. Okay, then. So, uh, yeah, to the the transfers in and, um, yeah, able to, uh, uh, yeah, properly attack the the transfer window. Uh, Jubilo have, uh, yeah, brought in some uh, really interesting names. Um, arguably not one of them is uh, Eiji Kawashima, but, uh, yeah, he is uh, back in the J-League um, after, uh, yeah, leaving Strasbourg and, uh, yeah, was uh, without a club for a period of time there, but, uh, yeah, returns to the J-League and presumably um, will be uh, the, the, the number one for Iwata. I know he's uh, he's the, the first choice keeper in your depth chart, Johnny, so you're expecting him to, to start the season and, uh, yeah, play the majority of the games as their, their number one keeper. We mentioned there's four Brazilians. I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts on them and um, also a couple of really interesting uh, signings in midfield. Uh, Shun Nakamura from Fukuoka, uh, obviously has a J1 experience and a player that really wasn't ever able to get J1 experience uh, when he was coming through at FC Tokyo is at Rei Hirakawa. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a really intriguing signing, I think, after impressing last year, um, well, especially last year, but yeah, in his time with uh, with Kumamoto, it was a uh, seven goals and nine assists for for, for Hirakawa uh, last year with uh, Roasso. So um, yeah, it'd be uh, great to see him up and uh, hopefully get a, a run in the Iwata team and uh, yeah, to see what he can do in in the top flight. While well, uh, Masatoshi Ishida uh, returns to Japan from uh, from Dijon in the K League. So yeah, there's a number of really interesting signings on paper, and uh, yeah, we can't wait to see how. They uh, they pan out, Johnny. But which ones in particular did you uh, did you want to uh, to to uh, chat over for us? This is a little bit like Machi done. There's a, it's a overwhelming amount of, of transfers in. Uh, Kawashima, I think he's going to be the, the first choice. I don't see the purpose in bringing him in if he's not going to be first choice, and he'll probably be first choice for Japan against North Korea in March as well, knowing knowing Moriyasu's tendencies. Um, <laughs> At right back, yeah, they've brought in Iki Kawasaki from perennial J3 strugglers Kamatamari Sanuki, and also a player I actually wrote about a couple of years ago, Shunsuke Nishikubo from from Jeff Chiba. But in that sort of weird J League transfer thing, he, he was very good two years ago, and then he completely dropped out the team last season, and now he's got his move to to J1. And I, I know listening to the the J Tech pre- preview last week that uh, Chris Huff did about about Jeff. He said he thought maybe the Nishikubo and, and Dudu transfers were, were linked. Um, Nishikubo has a lot of potential, but I don't see him going from playing 12 games for, for Jeff, mostly as a sub in J2, to, to starting in a successful Jubilo team, which only really leaves Daiki Ogawa, who was back up to, to Suzuki last year, as the other option. So I read the answers in a postcard who's going to play there and are they going to be effective at, at right back? They've also, I think, on the left side, that they're a bit... Yeah, they've got Matsubara stayed and they've brought in Keita Takahata, who can play left back or, or left wing back. He, he has a pretty decent free kick as well. He got a few goals and assists um, last season. He might be someone to keep your, your eyes on. Um, definitely, Rehi Rakawa is, is someone you, you definitely want to want to watch, especially if they play him in that number ten role because he was he was dynamite for Kumamoto. Again, Kumamoto, a little bit like Sapporo in, in J1. Sometimes it can be difficult to predict how well someone will, will do. Like a lot of the players last year, Sugiyama or Takahashi Sugata, left and didn't do nearly as well in the, the new location. So I, I really hope he, he turns out well. But he, he said he didn't get a chance really at FC Tokyo. He had a couple of spells at like Matsumoto and Kagoshima where it didn't really work out. It's only really worked out at Kumamoto. So 
remains to be seen what, what, what comes of him. Ishida is another fascinating one. No pedigree from his time in, in Japan before, suggests he should be at a J1 club, but he's done very well in Korea, so it remains to be seen how, how he will do. Shun Nakamura is a, a solid midfield option. And they've brought in uh, Hiroto Uemura from, from Waseda University. Might get a bit of game time in the middle. Which brings me to what I've been putting off is the, the four Brazilians they brought in. Matias yeah. Peixoto, I believe. Bruno Jose, Leo Gomez and, and Weverton. And I have ranked them in uh, order of how, uh, how good to how possibly they won't play much that they are. I think Peixoto <laughs> is the, the, the big one. He, literally, he's a, he's a big guy and he, he's played in J1. I believe he was contracted to a Ukrainian side, but he was back on loan in, in, um, in Brazilian Serie A. And I think he's likely to be the main starter. Bruno Jose played in, in Serie A and Serie B and can play on, on either wing, and I think he should be a starter. Uh, Leo Gomez is a starter in the soccer digest, Mekan, although I don't have him as a guaranteed starter. But again, he has, he has Serie A and Serie B, mo- mo- mostly Serie B. Experience and Weverton is the big the big gamble. It comes in from New England Revolution's second team, which I believe is a, a third tier um, outfit in, in America. Uh, some listeners might be able to correct me on that. That's what it said in the the Maycan. He, he's the one that's like, is he actually better than Dudu, or, or has he just been kind of recommended by the agency that brought the other players in? Uh, I think you know we haven't seen any of these guys uh, before. I do sense if. If absolutely none of them come off, I think Jubilo might be up the creek without a paddle. Um, if one or two of them do well, particularly if it's Pichotto and Bruno Jose, and that gives them the emphasis in attack, then yeah, I think a lot of a lot of Jubilo's potential success or otherwise really revolves around the, the quality of, of those two uh, attacking players because the rest of the squad is is functional but doesn't really look any better than than Jubilo's sides of the past that have have gone down to, to J2. But yeah, a lot of transfers, basically two two years worth of transfers. And it will be fascinating to see how, how the squad that develops in this the coming months. Yep, exactly. And yeah, the man entrusted with getting the most out of uh, the Iwata squad in uh, back in J1. And yeah, hopefully for the uh, the Jubilo supporters uh, for, to uh, yeah to, to to not only get them back and and playing well but yeah to uh, to to get them uh, locked back in to the top flight as a uh, as a staple of the division is uh, of course uh, Akinobu Yokouchi who won promotion in his first full season in the J League having managed uh, underage Japan national teams in uh, recent years. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's not quite an extremer case as uh, Gokuroda with uh, Machida, Johnny, but um, these two have um, have made, uh, yeah, the step from, um, well, the step into the professional game look uh, look relatively smooth, uh, getting their, uh, their, their two clubs promoted uh, automatically. And, um, yes, Yokuchi very highly regarded in uh, behind the scenes in the Japanese game. And I guess it was only a matter of time before he was given a, a an opportunity at the professional level or decided to take one, I, I should say. And um, yeah, he, he decided to, to take the Iwata job and uh, obviously made the most of it in his, uh, his first campaign getting uh, Iwata promoted. So 
yeah, what can he do for a uh, an encore? How does he like his teams to play? And do you think that the players that they've brought in ultimately will uh, will mesh with his uh, his philosophy and uh, yeah, give uh, Iwata uh, the best chance that they uh, they could ask for to uh, as I say to to make themselves back into uh, to top flight staples. Yeah, he's definitely a very, very interesting coach. You know, I owe him a bit of an, an apology because before researching for this podcast, I, I vaguely could remember his name or the initials to his name. So I've made, I've properly made, uh, even put it in bold in my notes to remember Akinobu Yokoichi. He was kind of behind the scenes at, at Jubilo because, you know, despite doing doing so well, I think a lot of focus was on the players or they had some big name like older players like Yasuhito Endo. He he sort of faded in the background a bit in, in J2 at times, but yeah, very very experienced coach, 56 years old, and I think he was at San Fredshi from from 2003 to 2017 and had a couple of caretaker games in charge after after Moriyasu was was let go, and then uh, again coming back to the Kawashima transfer, he he was assistant to Moriyasu with the national team between 2018 and 2022, which may have something to do with his kind of relationship with uh, with Kawashima and being able to, to bring him in. It's very interesting that the kind of second part of your question about how he likes his teams to play because, um, again, fans of the national team will not be not be surprised to know he he set up Jubilo on a, a four two three one system every every game last year, but he was again hindered by the fact he couldn't he couldn't sign the players he wanted essentially he was limited to what he had players he could bring back from loan or players he could promote from the youth team so whether he's a bit more expansive or whether he changes up the playing style this season remains to be seen. I think they only had a couple of um, Brazilians last year. Ricardo Grassa, who was who was fantastic and made the, the team of the year, a very adventurous centre-back, and the aforementioned Dudu, who, who likes a, a shot. So a bit more kind of razzle-dazzle with three or four Brazilians in the, in, in the lineup. Um, it might might change the way. They, they might open up a bit. Um, again, the team, I think, like I mentioned earlier, that right back seems to be a glaring, glaring area where, where they don't have the strength to play. And they don't have players like really proven to play at J1. Going forward, there's a number of players. You know, you've got the likes of Shota Kaneko who who can come like can cover basically any position in the front four, and do do a reasonable job. But I think it's all going to come down to how he integrates the the, the new Brazilians with with the kind of Japanese core. Um, of the squad, um, Peixoto's a, a big, a big target man. So I think that the system will be quite, quite basic. They're going to have to soak up a lot of pressure, and then they're going to have to strike in the counter attacks, moving the ball quickly from the the, the midfield out wide, and then getting crosses into Peixoto, who hopefully takes his chances, or, or the ball breaks the likes of Hidakawa or, or Yamada in behind. Yeah, so again, like Kuroda, it's only his, his second season. He, he, he's only known success. He's got, got Jubilo promoted for the first time of asking. He, he seems to be well-respected by the, the players and, and, and liked by the fans. Um, maybe not, not the most exciting brand of football you, you're going to see, but it, it may well prove to be effective in, in getting... I mean, it seems strange to say about a club as famous and as big as Jubilo that merely staying up would, would, would suffice, but a bit like Verdi, I think that's, that, that's quite true, so... Mm. Um, yeah, it remains to be seen if he's got a few more cards up his sleeve with, with with a few more players this season. But it was quite basic and effective last season. So so let's see if that works again this year. Yeah, really interesting um, appointment when that was made by I- Iwata. And obviously, yeah, as we said, it, it bore fruit with them uh, earning promotion straight back to the top flight. So, yeah, we'll, 
will be following uh, Yokoichi and uh, yeah his team obviously with interest uh, at the at the start of the season to see how they cope uh, uh, with life back in the top flight it doesn't get much harder than uh, hosting the defending champions on the the opening day but uh, yeah that's the the the, the task in front of uh, Jubilo on Saturday afternoon and um, yeah sure, sure to be a, a terrific occasion at the Yamaha Stadium but um, yeah so we have been mentioning some of the games coming up in, in match day one listeners uh, we can promise you a, a full preview of the opening round at the end of our next preview episode that will uh, yeah we'll uh, cover FC Tokyo and Nagoya before as we say looking ahead to, to match day one but yeah we're, before we leave Iwata Johnny we've got to do our ones to watch and indeed our final overview of their prospects for the uh, the, the campaign ahead. Uh, another of my uh, J-League boyfriends, uh, Hiroki Yamada, is uh, back in the top flight. And I hope that, uh, yes, the 35-year-old club captain can roll back the years uh, in another top flight stint. But, um, yes, uh, I don't know if you will have gone for Hirokara as well, but I- I'm going to have to. I'm sorry. Again, with the, the FC Tokyo connection, we've both already spoken about him and how impressive he was for a Fukumamoto last year and um yeah i guess it's one of those uh, it's one of those ones that stings for for fc tokyo supporters um yeah some of the dross that we've seen come through that that squad in the, the last um you know 8 to 10 years and some of the players that yeah haven't been able to uh, to to get a, a proper run in the team and a proper opportunity to um, yeah to, to really prove they belong uh, in J1 with FC Tokyo. Well, yeah, you can add Ray Hirokawa to that list, and um, yeah, we really uh, wish him all the best with the Iwata in uh, in J1 this year, and hope he can establish himself in the first team. Um, yeah, I mean, he basically came to every Tokyo supporter's attention uh, in the under 18s when he was a teammate of a certain uh, Takafusaku. Uh, after he'd returned to the country from Barcelona and yeah always highly thought of Hirokawa but yeah and one of a number of, of youngsters that um, yeah uh, we hoped would would break through and break into the first team but um, yeah just starved of opportunities had to leave out, out uh, on loan to get uh, chances to play and um, yeah in Hirokawa's case yeah he's uh, flourished as uh, as Johnny said and uh, yeah we both mentioned with uh, with Kumamoto in 2023 so yeah he's my one to watch and as I say I, uh, for personal reasons, I hope he really does well. Uh, who are you looking forward to seeing, uh, especially for I- Iwata in 2024, Johnny? Yeah, well, f- first of all, I f- fully endorse everything you, you said about Hirakawa. He's been absolutely fantastic to watch for, for Kumamoto the, the past 18, 18 months. And the fact you mentioned Yamada as well, who plays the same position. And I mentioned Kit Kanako, who can play there too. Hopefully that, that kind of number 10 area will be a real, real source of strength for, for Jubilo. I'm going to go for, for someone who's going to be my, my final Johnny's League-wide uh, one to watch, and it is yet another winger. Um, it's a Yosuke Furukawa, who's a, a kind of young player. He's a, he's a bit of a dribbler in the, the Kaoru Mitoma mode, and um, people might remember back when, when Jubilo were last in, in J1 in 2022, he made something of a splash by, by scoring the winner away to uh, eventual champions uh, Yokohama F. Marinos in a, a very crucial 1-0 win near the back end of last season. Um, he, he played a bit more regularly in J2 uh, last term, started to establish himself a, a bit more, but more as a kind of super sub, which I think we might see him kind of d- down the left um, th- th- this season. Um, he's also he went to Shizuoka Gakuen, which is uh, Leo Hatate's alma mater, and it might not, not be too dissimilar to him as well in, in some ways of his play. But 
yeah, hopefully he can can get get a few minutes this season, uh, maybe mostly as a substitute early on before potentially establishing himself as a as a starter towards the the business end of the season. But Yosuke Furukawa, he's my Jubilo one to watch, and he's also number five in Johnny's league wide uh, players to watch this season. All right, tremendous stuff then. So yeah, let's wrap it up then with our overall thoughts on uh, Iwato in 2024. Um, I'll let you go first, Johnny. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll repeat what I said earlier. If, if none of the Brazilian signings work out, they're, they're going down. If Peixoto and Bruno Jose live up to their expectations, then, then they, they can stay up. But I don't see them, a bit like other teams have spoken about, I don't see them being out at the bottom five or six. I think they're going to be down there all season. It's going to be a tough season. And they're really going to have to rely on, on taking chances when they come along because they might not always come along too, too often. Uh, are you any more positive, Ben? Um, no, I, it's hard to be, I think, but um, they obviously have recent top flight experience and, um, yeah, some interesting signings. I think, yeah, a lot does hinge on the Brazilians and, um, yeah, also, yeah, players like Hirokawa and whether he can settle uh, and become a, a first-team regular and and carry on his good form from the previous season. Obviously, yeah, the club will be uh, desperate to avoid a repeat of, of 2022. Yeah, hopefully Yokoichi is uh, the right man for the job and can prove his uh, mettle quickly as a top flight manager, obviously extremely experienced, as we said, behind the scenes with the, with the national team. But uh, yeah, a lot hinges on how uh, he can get Iwata organized and um, yeah, I think rigid enough at the back to eke out enough points to, to keep themselves interested throughout the journey. Yeah, it's going to be a, a long road, but um, yeah, I think overall they can be reasonably uh, hopeful that yeah that there'll be uh, as I think as we've said as our previews have rolled on there's likely to be a group of, of, of five or six teams uh, that um, will be in and around the dogfight and yeah I don't think Iwata would um, uh, have unrealistic expectations of being outside of that group uh, for too long this season so um, yeah they'll they'll just have to ho- have to hope that um, yeah their signings click. And and as we said, yeah, Yokoichi uh, gets them organised enough to uh, to win enough points to hang on. So uh, we shall see. And um, yeah, for for different reasons, the the, the three promoted teams uh, all fascinating watches ahead in the new season, no doubt. So uh, we'll leave it there. I think Johnny, uh, another bumper episode, but uh, yeah, three fascinating teams to preview, and uh, that leaves us with uh, just two more to go, and then as we said, uh, a look ahead uh, at uh, match day one's uh, fixtures. So, uh, yeah, uh, another great episode. Thanks for everything on this one, and uh, looking forward to the next. Yes, yeah, it was fantastic talking to, to Lewis earlier, and it, it feels like we've, we've definitely earned our corn today, because a, a lot of transfers are all the, all the newly promoted sides, as always, and yeah, I'm looking forward to joining the, the FC Tokyo party with, with you and Thomas t- tomorrow night, so I'll speak to you soon, thank you. Thank you very much, Johnny. All right, then. So we'll leave it there. That's it for this episode of the J Talk podcast. Uh, thanks to Sam, Brett, and uh, Kai for their questions. Thanks to our newest patrons, uh, Sven, Lee, and uh, Ate. Uh, Ate, I hope I've pronounced that right, my friend. But uh, yeah, great to have the, the three of you guys on board for the new season as well. And uh, yeah, thanks to all of our patrons for their ongoing support. Listeners, thanks to you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back soon with our final preview episode before the big kickoff. Speak to you soon. Bye for now. The J Talk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.